Bada bing, bada bam. Welcome to this week's Bacon a Mystery, Bacon a Murder episode. Listen, we're making, hit it, babe. What are we making? We're making chocolate cocoa marshmallow. Why'd you say it like that? Why you gotta be why are you saying it like that? I'm just gonna jump right in because today we have a book and this book was one of the best books that I have read in a really long time. I feel like I said that about the last book, but I'm going to link this book in the description. I literally have the audiobook version. I have it on my Kindle and now I want it in a paperback just so I can add it to my shelf because when I really love a book, I want to walk past a physical copy and just breathe in the amazingness. Like just be in its presence and it's by one of my favorite favorite writers of all freaking time. I would literally die for this person, Riley Sager. If you guys are in the thriller space, if you read thriller books, Riley Sager wrote Lock Every Door, which was I think our second fam that we ever, ever did. What was that one again? The hotel or the apartment in New York City. Oh, yes. And she was um, house sitting and yes, there was yes, a lot yes. of suspicious things going on. That was so good. I believe they just came out with like a bunch of new books, Survive the Night, House Across the Lake. There's a lot. I mean, they have so many good books, but this one is called The Final Girls. It has elements of thriller and it's true crime, but it's not. Like it's not your stereotypical true crime mystery, which I don't know. I'm not really into those, but this... <laughs> Are you okay, ma'am? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. So um, let's start at Pine Cottage at one in the morning. The main character in today's story is a woman by the name of Quincy Carpenter. She was not a woman when the time that this happened. Well, I guess she was. She was like 20 years old. She's like a girl. She's just growing up. She's a sophomore in college. Quincy Carpenter remembers the cottage. It kind of had claws. The way that Riley Sider writes is so poetic, so I'm not even gonna attempt, right? But hopefully you just get the gist of it. Read the book. Now, if the cottage itself was alive, it was trying to prevent her from leaving. It was trying to keep her to stay. It was clawing at her. All the trees, the woods, the forest around the cottage, it, it was trying to grab her as she ran away. Mm. Just literally grabbing at her. She felt pain shooting up her body, but that didn't stop her from running. Even as blood was dripping down her face, dripping down her whole body, she knew that if she stopped, she was gonna die. The, there was only one or two, right? You either run or you die. But it's interesting because she knew that she had to run. She knew that he was after her. She knew that he had murdered all of her friends, her closest friends inside that cabin, but that's it. That's all she remembers. It's like she understands what happened, but she has no memory of what happened. Who murdered? He Who? did, the killer. Murdered everyone in the cottage. Yeah, five of her closest friends from college. She's running out. She knows that if she stops, he's gonna come get her. He's running after her. So she's running through the woods until she sees what looks like headlights, maybe a road ahead. She's running faster, screaming louder, and then a branch whacks her in the face and she can't see for a second. And then her vision comes back into focus. There is a full-bodied man standing in front of her, but it's not him. No, it's not the killer. It's a different man, a safe man. So Quincy runs up to him and throws herself on him and she closes her eyes, just trying to forget everything, you know? Hoping that everyone else is um, gonna make it out. But she knew the truth. She was the last one. She was the last one alive. I'm gonna give you the rundown on Quincy, okay? So the book kind of transfers back and forth between Pine Cottage and current time, right? 
Now, Quincy, if you didn't Google her name or if you didn't know about her past, here's what you would know about Quincy. Quincy was a famous baker. She, she had a little blog called Quincy Sweets. That was her full-time job. She lived in New York City. She had these cute little themes on her blog for her website during Halloween, Spooktober. She would call it Revenge of the Yummy. She spent every single day in her Upper West Side condo in Manhattan baking sweets, spending hours trying to get the perfect shot of her pumpkin-flavored cupcakes. Meanwhile, her boyfriend that also lives with her, Jeff, Jeff is a public defender. So he's out there defending some of the most intense criminals in all of New York City. So it almost seems like she has the perfect job, lawyer boyfriend, perfect macaroons, perfect everything, perfect expensive condo in one of the safest, nicest areas in all of Manhattan. Are you kidding? I'm so sorry. Is she in a cottage or is she in Manhattan? That was the past. Okay. Yeah, this is her now. That was 10 years ago when she was running through the woods. Oh, she's in Manhattan now. Yeah. She was running in the woods. 10 years ago. Got she was it. a survivor 10 years ago. And now. And there's a reason that they're living in a place like that. Most people would assume that it's one of their parents, right? Old money. How else do you buy nice real estate in New York City? Not on a public defender's salary, that's for sure. And like, I mean, how much can you really make from bacon sweets, right? No, it was from the lawsuits. Quincy's friends had all died 10 years ago. All of them had died but her. She was stabbed over and over until blood soaked her whole body. Her, her body was covered in her dead friend's blood. And her dead friend's parents and she sued everyone possible. The mental hospital that let the killer escape, his doctors, the pharmaceutical companies responsible for the copious amounts of antidepressants that he was on, even the manufacturers of the asylum's hospital's doors with the malfunctioning locks, that allowed the killer to escape, they sued every single one of those forkers. And Quincy got a lot of money from it, enough to buy a pre-war spacious safe condo on the Upper West Side. And the mental hospital that they sued was called Blackhorn Psychiatric Hospital. It closed down a year after what happened in Pine Cottage because, I mean, it was so close to Pine Cottage, there was so much bad press, bad connotations, nobody wanted to fund it anymore. So it finally shuttered its doors. Now, everyone knew Quincy as not just the survivor, but as a final girl. So in present time in Manhattan, Coop texts her, we need to talk face to face. It takes Coop a, th a good three hours one way to drive into Manhattan, but Quincy knew that if he wanted to talk to her face to face, that meant that something bad was going on. That meant that she might be in danger because Coop is the type of person that would drop absolutely everything and drive all the way into the city just to meet with Quinn. So when he texts her first that they need to talk, I mean, she starts stressing out. She knew that it could only be bad. Otherwise, why wouldn't he do it over the phone? They decide to meet at their usual spot. It's like a quiet cafe in the city. Quincy made sure to pop a little Xanax before she went in. She washed it down with some warm grape juice soda. That was her favorite. Xanax, grape soda, straight from the big leader bottle. Did I mention that Quincy has a bit of a Xanax addiction? Anyway, so when she gets there, Coop is already waiting for her and he looks he looks stressed, okay? He looks apprehensive. He looks like he's got a lot on his little noggin. And just to give you a visual on Coop, I really hope they turn it into a show, okay? But who's gonna play Coop? Because in the book, they describe him as being both thick and long. <laughs> thick and long, I'm sorry, what? So he played rugby growing up. He's got that rugged look. The book says he's got rolling hills of muscles. Someone you would feel safe protecting you. Which makes sense considering he was in the Marines before he joined the police force, but he left he left the Marines, he's still in the police force, and now he's 41 years old and a detective. And he's at the cafe in full uniform. 
and he has Quincy's order ready to go on the table. Earl Grey with milk and extra sugar for her and black coffee unsweetened for him. And when she sits down, he nods and says, Quincy. That's his way of saying hi to her. There's always a nod involved. There's no hug, no handshake, no, oh my God, how are you? They've actually never hugged since that night. The first night that they met, that is. That desperate hug, if you remember, where Quinn threw her arms around him and screamed, they're all dead, they're all dead, and he's still out there. Is he the one who saved him? Saved her? Yeah. Ten seconds later, Coop saved her life. And he's always been somewhat protective of her since, you know, they kind of are bound together since that night. Now, they're not really that friendly. They only see each other like two to three times a year. And each time, Coop plays therapist cop with her. But it's still nice to have someone. Even after Quincy was hospitalized, whenever she had panic attacks, she would scream at the hospital staff, I want him. I need to see Officer Cooper. Let me see him. Coop would drop everything and come. And with Coop, it was the only place that Quincy really felt safe, per se, after Pine Cottage. I mean, now she feels safe with her boyfriend, Jeff, and everything, but it's a bit different. They literally are bounded together by that incident. And he says, you're looking well, Quinn, but you've lost some weight. He's always worried about her losing weight. Because almost right after Pine Cottage, she stopped eating. She couldn't keep any food down. She was hospitalized, being force-fed through a tube. Coop showed up, and he told her with words filled with emotion, don't disappoint me, Quincy. You didn't survive that night just to die like this. Damn. Yeah. So Quincy tries to calm him down. It's nothing. I'm not losing weight. I just realized I don't have to eat every single thing that I bake for the website. And Quincy starts people watching as Coop lectures her on eating well and asking about how Jeff is. And she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But mainly she's preoccupied with watching who's going in and out of the cafe. There's something about this young woman that just walks in. She looks like a nanny. She looks too young to have a child of her own, but there she is with the toddler. It looks like she's babysitting, but she looks similar to Quinn. She looks like they would be the same age. It almost looks like that's what Quinn's life would be like if Pine Cottage didn't happen. And so she kind of looks at her jealously. Instead, she was the girl wearing the red dress. Except it wasn't red. She remembers Coop whispering to his dispatch on his police uniform that um, someone's run through the trees, a Caucasian female, she's wearing a red dress, and she was screaming. Quincy was running through the trees. She was screaming. But that dress, it was white just an hour ago. Mm. It was red from all the blood. All the blood of her dead friends. And some of her own blood, because she was stabbed multiple times. Quincy would never forget the look on Coop's face when he realized that the dress was never red, that it was all freaking blood. Anyway, that is as much as Quincy can remember about that night. She has what they call disassociative amnesia, meaning there's before the cottage, there's the party up to the end of the cottage, and then suddenly everything goes black, and then now she's scared and confused, and she's running through the woods, getting slapped around in the face by branches and running straight towards Coop in a not red dress. As for everything in between, I mean, it's nothing. Her memory is literally blank. It's gone. Over an hour, poof. Therapists say it's because whatever happened that night was so traumatic that her mind cut it out with a pair of scissors. But still, everyone begged her for years and years and years. Please try and remember, Quincy. Just try and remember. They would look at her and sigh. Just try. Some even thought that she was hiding something because she conveniently didn't remember. Quincy tried everything to prove that she genuinely didn't remember. At one point, she tried to do therapy, hypnotherapy, hypnosis, everything. But now, 10 years later, 
maybe she doesn't need to remember what happened. She doesn't know, need to know all the details, how it happened, because the end result is still the same. Five of her closest college friends are dead. She was stabbed multiple times and traced through the woods by the mass murderer. What else does she need to know? So anyway, back to the cafe. Koopa's like, I think you know why I'm here, Quincy. I honestly don't. Well, I have some bad news, and it isn't public yet, but it's gonna be public very soon. Now, it's dumb, but Quincy feels like the killer must be back. He must be back, right? Even though logically she knows it's impossible, she watched Coop shoot him because he was literally right behind her, rustling through the woods, making a run for her. But for some reason, she feels like he must be risen from the dead. Hmm. Coop notices that she's having a panic attack. It, it's not, it's not that. He's gone, Quincy. We both know that. Just, just tell me what it is, please. It's about... Lisa Milner. What about her? She's dead, Quincy. Dead. And Quincy feels her head spin. Lisa was like Coop and nothing like him all at once. Lisa was always there for her, wanted to be there for her, and she told her. And the words still ring so fresh in Quincy's mind. Quincy, I want to help you. I want to teach you how to be a final girl. You can't change what happened. The only thing that you can control is how you deal with it. But now she's dead? That doesn't even make sense. If she's dead, that means there's only two final girls left. So Lisa Milner had her own pine cottage, but instead it was a sorority house in Indiana. One night, a long, long time ago, a man named Steven Leibman knocked on the front door of the sorority house. He was a college dropout, angry college dropout. He was holding a knife, and for the next hour or two, he killed nine girls. Lisa was supposed to be the 10th but she hid in the closet for most of the slaughter. She was panting behind a thin veil of clothes, praying that the madman wouldn't find her, but he did. The closet door opened, they made eye contact, and the knife came straight for her. She got stabbed, and in that pain, she somehow managed to knee him, run out of the closet, and Stephen is chasing after her. She took four more stabs to the chest and the stomach. She had a five-inch cut down her arm. Had Stephen stabbed her one more time, she would have been the tenth victim. But instead, she grabbed Stephen's ankle, he fell, the knife fell too, and she grabbed it and shoved it as deep as she could into his stomach. He bled out on the floor next to her. It smells like a candy shop. Did yeah. you turn it off? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So I just pour it in? Yeah, you pour it in. Wow, that's all sugar. Wow. Beautiful. Ten people technically did die at the sorority house. Steven Leibman was one of them. Lisa was not. She was the only survivor. And that is when the press nicknamed her the final girl. She was the final girl. Not that there weren't any before her, but she was, that's just how it all got started. Quincy was seven years old. Wow. Lisa Milner's incident happened when Quincy was just seven years old and it shocked her. I mean, she saw this on the news. Everybody saw it on the news. Quincy said this was her first taste that there was evil in this world. Like it was a huge life lesson for her to realize that. And it was actually after Lisa Milner's whole incident, her whole tragedy, that Quincy actually got into baking. She was so distraught when she saw the news at seven years old that her dad was like, all right, let me distract you. He pulled her into the kitchen, carried her crying, and tried to distract her with a little baking lesson. He told her that there really is too much sweetness in things. All the best sweet things come with something bitter, sour, unsweetened, so that when you do get that splash of sweetness, you can really be grateful for it. Like you can really enjoy it, appreciate it. You know, that's a good tip Yeah, yeah. for you. 
Yeah. So I feel appreciate. like this needs more sugar. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, so, <laughs> I think you should appreciate the bitterness the of this relationship. <laughs> Perfection. Yeah. I should have a baking blog. Look at this. Yeah. It's just cocoa powder. She missed her dad, but she snapped back to reality and she said, "Wait, wait, wait. When, when, when did Lisa Milner die? How, how did she die? Last night, police in Indiana discovered her body in her bathtub around midnight. She had taken her own life." Did I tell you guys what we're making? Yes, I read it to them. <laughs> now it said sprinkle some po cocoa powder on top and refrigerator for two hours. You got two hours? I do. Okay. I might have a little more than two hours. Oh my god, was it suicide? I thought she was happy. I mean, she seemed happy, right? They're waiting on the tox report to see if she had been drinking or if she was on drugs. So it could have been an accident or something? No, it was no accident. Her wrists were slit. So Quincy starts to feel dizzy. I mean, she feels like she needs all the details. And he keeps telling her, you don't want all the details, Quincy. Trust me. It's not going to change anything. Yes, but information is better than anything, right? Like, what am I supposed to do? Here's what I know. Lisa called 911 at a quarter to midnight, apparently with sunken thoughts. Well, what did she say to the dis What did she say to the dispatch? Nothing. She hung up immediately. Dispatch traced the call and sent a pair of police officers to her house. The door was unlocked. They went in. They found her. She was in the bathtub. Her phone was in the water with her, probably slipped from her hands. Quincy wants to reach over the table for Coop's hands to squeeze him, to show him that she cares for him, and she's thankful because he looks exhausted. He looks like he has been marinating with this information and feeling more and more stressed out about it. How he was going to break it to her. I just wanted to warn you before word gets out because... The press, the journalists, the reporters, the tabloids, they're all going to want to talk to Quincy. They will say, how do you feel now that a final girl is dead? And that makes only two final girls left, right? Were you and Lisa close? Were you like a little gang of survivors? So Quincy's like, what do I have to say? Do I have to say something to the press? Why can't Samantha do it? Because she's still off the grid. She's vanished. I doubt she's going to pop out out of her years of hiding to say something. That just means you. That's why I wanted to come and tell you in person before the press find out. Quincy knows he's right. The reporters will want to talk to a final girl about another final girl's life. Quincy never even liked the term final girl to begin with. It's a term in horror movies. It refers to the last woman standing in the end of a gruesome slasher film. But Quincy wouldn't even know. Because even before Pine Cottage, she never watched horror movies. They were always a bit too graphic, too gruesome, too... too gross. Quincy always felt like the characters were stupid and unrelatable. They made bad choices. She felt like some of them even deserved to die in those movies. But that's not how it works in the real world. The term final girl wasn't something that she liked. Lisa seemed to like it though, but not Quincy. There were just too many weirdos in the world. After news got out that Quincy had been a survivor, people started offering to pay her college tuition. She got letters from prison inmates asking to marry her, to cradle her in their big buff arms. She had letters from sick bastards who offered to chain her up in their basement because they were, they were convinced that was the only way to guarantee her safety from another pine cottage happening. They truly believed kidnapping and holding Quincy hostage would be the safest thing for Quincy. It was sick. Then there were letters from people saying that Quincy needed to be finished off, that they need to finish what happened at Pine Cottage. Lisa Milner was the first final girl. And then there was Samantha, and now Quincy. Samantha's story was just as violent as Lisa's. Um, Lisa had the sorority house. Four years later, Samantha Boyd had her motel incident. Eight years later after that, Quincy Carpenter had Pine Cottage. Samantha Boyd probably had it the worst, though. 
Even Quincy thinks so. She was just two weeks out of high school when it happened to Samantha. She just wanted a job, that was all. She started working at a local motel cleaning the rooms. The place was called Nightlight Inn. It's one of those places where you pay by the hour. The sheets had to constantly be cleaned because they always smelled of sweat and semen and other bodily fluids. Two hours into her fourth day on the job, a man with a potato sack came over, a potato sack covering his head. He showed up and all hell broke loose. They called him the sack man. He also carried another potato sack with him that was filled with weapons. And he was very angry. He was angry at the world, angry at the Bible, but worst of all, he was angry at the whores of Babylon, is what he said. Those sinners, those whores. He had a sack over his head and another sack filled with weapons, all sorts of weapons, saw blades, chisels, nails, too many to name. Police found 21 weapons in his sack and all of them were caked with blood. What? Samantha was hit by two of them. The sack man grabbed her and forced a sharpened drill bit into her back. And then he went back after her and went straight for her thigh with a hacksaw. Then out of a fit of anger, he grabbed barbed wire, led Samantha to a tree behind the motel and tied her up using barbed wire. Six people died that night. One of them was sack man. And it was thanks to Samantha. She somehow freed herself from being tied up to a tree by barbed wire, got her hands on the same drill bit that she had just been tortured with, and jumped on top of Sackman and pushed the drill bit into his chest as deep as humanly possible. And then she did it again. Then she took it out and did it again and again. And that's how the cops found her, stabbing away at the Sandman with a sharpened drill bit. And she wouldn't stop. After Samantha's incident, she did a few interviews, but she had one condition that her face not be shown, nor could they take any new photos of her. So everyone only remembered Sam by an old high school picture where she was just, her face was just pimpled up, you know, cause she's such a young kid. Nobody really knew what she looked like now. She just kind of vanished. A lot of reporters speculate that she changed her name and moved to South America. So there you have it. Three final girls. One of them is in South America. Another one is now dead and Quincy drinking coffee with the man who saved her life. After their coffee catch-up, Coop walks Quincy back home, but he refuses to come up as always. Nothing but business, that's this guy. Like he never wants to overstep his professionalism, even though those two are literally bound by their souls from that night. One thing about me is that if I'm happy or sad, I am never going to skip a meal. I don't care if I'm crying because it's fuel for my body, especially a home cooked meal. It is how I stay energized. It is how I take care of myself and show love to my bod. And one of my two favorite ways is with Green Chef. You guys know that I have a HelloFresh obsession and Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh. It's kind of like the best of both worlds. I know people who switch between the two brands to get more variety, but we have a revolving door of people in and out of our house and I am such a foodie that I have both subscriptions every single week. And Green Chef really is such a customizable meal kit. They have organic wild caught protein options, which side note, I love that not only do I get to choose between 24 recipes weekly, but I can mix and match preferences. Swap out chicken for salmon. I can go vegan one day, keto the next, and their recipes are insane. Pecan crusted salmon with creamy kale and roasted carrots, bacon and farro salad with roasted celery, Everything 
puts me so much in the fall mood. And Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. With dinners that work for you, not the other way around, Green Chef has keto and paleo vegan, vegetarian, mediterranean, gluten-free, and fast and fit options that are under like 700 calories and are ready in 25 minutes or less. They are the only keto meal kit company and they make sticking to a carb-conscious lifestyle so easy. You get time-saving recipes packed with fresh produce, vibrant flavors, I mean, it's fantastic. And it's the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. Green Chef offsets 100% of their carbon footprint as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. My mom has some health concerns, so she's been super careful about her diet and Green Chef is super accommodating. Even though I'm not vegan, I love their vegan meals. The flavors are out of this world, incredible. In New York City, I was the one cooking up all the Green Chef meals and it was so fun. So make sure to go to greenchef.com baking135 and use code baking135 to get $135 off across five boxes and your first box ships free. That's greenchef.com slash baking135 and use code baking135 to get $135 off across five boxes and your first box ships free. Thank you, Green Chef, for sponsoring today's episode. So Quincy runs up and downs more grape soda with Xanax and she pulls out her phone. A text message from a guy named Zach. Oh, and then there's his dick pic. And you're like, wait, <laughs> she's cheating on Jeff? No. Remember the nanny at the cafe that she was fixated on? She stole her phone. Oh, what? Okay. Yeah, and you're like, why? I don't know, why does Quincy steal anything? She has a kitchen drawer that she keeps locked, and she told Jeff and everybody else that's where her secret recipes for all of her freaking baked goods are, but in reality, it's a stash of all the things she's ever stolen. And she steals a lot. None of them are things that she even wants. This phone, she's not even gonna use it. She's gonna throw it into the drawer, and it's just another thing that she's stolen. Kleptomaniac, okay? Now, the phone goes in the drawer, and she locks it with this tiny little key that she wears around her neck on a chain, a necklace. She locks it up and goes over to her bookshelf, and she's trying to find that book that she can't stop thinking about. On the cover was Lisa. It was her memoir. It said, The Will to Live, My Personal Journey of Pain and Healing. It was a minor bestseller. Lifetime turned it into a TV movie. Lisa sent Quincy a copy almost right after Pine Cottage, and it said, To Quincy, my glorious sister in survival. I'm here if you ever need to talk. And then her phone number. When Quincy first got the book, she never intended to call. Like, why would she? I mean, these she lives in Indiana. Quincy was not in Indiana. What do they even have in connection with each other other than the fact that they outlived some sort of traumatic event? What is there to talk about? She doesn't remember anything. What it, literally, what is there to talk about? Because they're both labeled final girls. They need to be friends. But Quincy's life began to spiral even more after Pine Cottage. Right after Pine Cottage, also we have a demon, like a Tasmanian devil upstairs. Her name is Sophie and she is, she's my two-year-old niece. Yeah, so if you guys hear some trembling and uh, if the camera's shaking and uh, if everything falls down, crashing down, it's yeah. her. So Quincy's life began to spiral even more after Pine Cottage. Her dad's cancer returned with a freaking vengeance. He was too weak to help Quincy. He was too weak to help himself. He tried, but then he died almost immediately after Pine Cottage. So Quincy not only survived the most traumatic incident of her life, but her dad died right after. And Quincy felt like it was her fault. Everyone around her kept telling her it was a freaking miracle that she survived Pine Cottage. So in her head, she's laying there thinking, if it's a miracle that I survived, somehow it feels like a deal with the devil. That the devil or God or whoever wanted payment for her survival, so her dad had to go. What's worse is that Quincy felt like her mom felt like that too. 
Once dad died, it's not like her mom wanted to rally together and cry and eat baked goods and move on. No. Quincy's mom ignored her. She ignored all their problems and started pretending like nothing was wrong. They were in perfect suburbia. She focused on remodeling the kitchen in the house. She acted like that was gonna change their lives. Maybe this is a better example. Quincy's mom used to come to the hospital where Quincy was after Pine Cottage. No hair out of place, full makeup. Sure, her only child almost died, but that is no excuse to let yourself go, right? Okay, great. Quincy really only had Coop. But she felt bad because it's like, oh, but he needs to move on with his life too. This was traumatic for him too, right? So what does she do? She picks up that stupid damn book and she calls Lisa Milner. Quincy, I want to help you. I want to teach you how to be a final girl. What if I don't want to be one? It's not your choice. It's already been decided for you. You can't change what's happened. The only thing you can control is how you deal with it. And Quincy took her advice to heart because Oprah came calling. Oprah wanted to unite the three final girls on her TV show with a fat paycheck to each of them, of course. Lisa, of course, agreed. So did Samantha, which was surprising considering she was already kind of in and out of the news, like practicing her vanishing act. And this would be her only ever appearance on TV. Nobody even knew what she'd look like now. This is, other than an old, old interview right after the nightlight in, nothing. She's just been very private. So Quincy felt like, okay, yeah, if Samantha Boyd is down, I'll do it too. Let's do it. How much did Oprah give them? I don't know. I bet it was a lot. So Quincy said for her first ever interview after Pine Cottage, she was giving $100,000 for one interview. Wow. Yeah, so um, this is all fictional, by the way. And um, they would never get the chance. That morning, Quincy's mom was going to fly to her, was going to fly with her to Chicago. But she woke up screaming. So Quincy runs downstairs and the entire kitchen, the remodeled kitchen has been demolished. There were broken plates littering the floor, orange juice dripping from the, from the cabinets, eggs splattered on the walls. And her mom looked at her and said, Quincy, why? Why would you do this? I, I didn't mean it. I, I, I didn't, I don't know what happened. I swear. It was the truth. She didn't remember doing this at all. Her mom pretended to believe her, but Quincy could see it in her eyes. She looked betrayed. And worse, her mom looked scared of her. They canceled the interview. Her mom drove her to get a lifetime prescription of Xanax that her mom was so eager for her to take that inside the car, they had the only thing to drink was a warm bottle of grape soda. And she was like, take it now. We're not waiting till we get home. Take your first dose now of Xanax. And her mom told her, enough. We're done. No more blackouts. No more rages. No more being a victim. You take these pills and you be normal, Quincy. That's how it's going to be around here. What does Xanax do? It calms you down. So her mom's great. Super great. Mom of the Year award goes to Quincy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. These... Mom. Yeah. She's not close with her mom, if you can tell. Like, even now, her mom is remarried with a dentist named Fred, who has three adult children of his own. And together, they're like the happiest, picture-perfect family. There's not a single survivor in their mix, not a single final girl. I mean, it's safe to say that Quincy resents her mom for that. I mean, she felt like she has no family anymore. 
So Quincy stopped talking to Lisa, never agreed to another interview after the whole kitchen incident. And with all the final girls, she was determined, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm just going to be normal, whatever that means. My mom wants me to be normal. So by standing there in her living room with Lisa's book in her hand, nothing felt fucking normal. It just didn't make sense. Lisa slit her wrists. A knife is the last thing Quincy would have used after what happened at Pine Cottage. Lisa was also stabbed. Drug overdose, maybe. Carbon monoxide, that's Quincy's second option. But a knife? Never in a million years. It didn't make sense. Why would she use a knife to finish what Steven Leibman had started? Quincy drops the book and goes over to her computer. She can't help but wonder. She goes to Lisa's Facebook page, and if you just look at it, she looks like she's living the life. Picture after picture show her smiling. And these are real smiles, Quincy knows. She looks happy. It's not the type of smile that you fake. It's genuine. She loved her career as a child psychologist. Lisa was having fun. I mean, in this picture, she's bowling with friends. In this one, she's hiking. I mean, there's one picture where the caption is wine time. And it's from three weeks ago. And in the back, there's a girl behind Lisa. But she's mostly cropped out and she's moving, so she's a blur. She has black hair moving away from the wine glass. And for some reason, Quincy feels like she relates to this girl. A girl without a face, just a blur in the background. Now back to Pine Cottage, a flashback. Quincy was a bit disappointed when they pulled up to Pine Cottage. First of all, the name makes it sound a little bit magical. The reality is just a log cabin, really, like nothing fancy. Everybody, everything had a purpose here. Nothing was for design, just straight utilitarian vibes. I mean, sure, the place was beautiful because there were pine trees everywhere, but but that only made the cottage seem more scary, more dim on the inside. It was blocking the sunlight, more uninviting. And she announced to the group, hey, it's kind of creepy. Her best friend Janelle was the reason that they were even on this trip to begin with. It was her 20th birthday. Her parents asked if she wanted to get out of the dorms with her five closest friends and get a cabin for the weekend. So it settled. All six sophomores were going to Pine motherfucking Cottage because, well, Janelle always gets what she wants. Like, she is the type that will not take no for an answer. Which is why everyone also locked their phones in the car before heading into the cabin. Janelle repeated, no phones, no calls, no texts. Quincy, you can take pictures on your film camera. Take pictures of me, though, of course. But that's it. We are connecting with each other and nature, so no phones. And with that, the, phones, the phoneless group headed into the cabin. There were not six bedrooms, so they were fighting to call dibs on the room. Amy and Rodney, they're dating. They're a couple. They need to get a room, honestly. They're always all over each other. So they get the room with the waterbed. Bets, she's without a partner, so she dutifully took the room with the bunk beds. Quincy wanted to room with Janelle, but Janelle had other plans. I want you to room with Craig. So she ends up in Craig's room. I mean, Janelle acted like she wanted Quincy to sleep with Craig because she wanted a room to herself, but the reality was she wanted the two of them to, you know, hook up. She was playing matchmaker. It was obvious that Craig and Quincy liked each other, but they were just, they were different. You know, Craig was a jock. He had girls fawning all over him. Quincy was a virgin. She wanted to take things slow. And even though she knew what Janelle was doing, trying to set them up together, get her to lose her V-card, Quincy just went along with it. I don't know, maybe she would lose her virginity, maybe not, we don't know. At 5 p.m., everyone chose their rooms, settled in, and Janelle was jumping around. Come on, guys, we have to go explore the woods, let's go. Nobody wanted to go. First of all, the woods looked really creepy. Second of all, other than Craig, for some reason, that has a freaking walking stick. Nobody, everybody is wearing jeans and sweaters. This is not hiking energy. Nobody thought that they were gonna do any hiking. But 
what Janelle wants, they get. So they're outside, you know, crunching on the fallen fall leaves. The air is crisp. It was nice, they had to admit. The sun was setting, the sky was like this fiery orange color. And as they're walking, Janelle starts messing with the group. Seriously, everybody stay close. You don't want to fall behind in woods like these. It's haunted here. Bullshit. It's true. An indigenous tribe used to live here hundreds of years ago, and then the white men came in and wiped them all out. Their blood is on our hands, guys, because we're white. They say the spirits of the indigenous people haunt the woods. Really, they want to kill any white man they see. So watch your back, Rodney. Rodney was the only other guy on the trip other than hot guy Craig that, you know, Quincy was supposed to sleep with. And he's like, why me? Because Craig is strong. He can protect himself. What about you guys? I said the white man killed them. We're women. They've got no beef with us. <laughs> so Bets is the serious one the whole time. And she creepily adds, people really did die here. A guy in my lit class told me about it. A pair of campers last year, they were found in the woods, a boyfriend and girlfriend. The police found them stabbed to death in their tent. Did they catch you ever did it? Not that I know of. Everyone stopped talking till they got to the top of the hill. There was this big flat rock at the top, like the size of a full-size king bed. When you stand on it, it seems like you can see the whole horizon. You can see everything. You're on top of the world. And what is the world? A big, vast, never-ending display of motherfucking pine trees. That's what, okay? They call this pine cottage for a motherfucking reason. Immediately, the group starts snapping pictures on their film camera. Rodney starts carving his name onto the rock, evidently like so many before him. Yeah, R-O-D-N-E-Y. It's gonna be a long time. They're gonna be there a while. Then after that, he's like, I wanna add plus Amy equals heart. <laughs> Cute, whatever. <laughs> Janelle looks over at Quinn. Maybe you and Craig can do it up here. Like, Pat. do it? Yeah. If we do it, it certainly won't be on the rock. This looks like an STD waiting to happen. Look at those empty condom wrappers everywhere. Oh my god. You haven't decided yet, Quinn, if it's going to happen? It better happen fast. I'm sure a lot of girls are dying for a taste. You don't want to get him waiting so long that he loses interest. Quinn rolled her eyes. I mean, she was nervous, but she looked at Craig. He was hot, but he was different, you know? He didn't care about sex. Like, sure, if they ever got close to doing it, it's because they both had desires like their people, but he's not, he's not like other boys. What? So the group took some photos on the rock before Quinn pointed to a giant building in the middle of the pine trees. The walls were all gray. It looked like a prison. What is that? It's an insane asylum. Jeez, Bets, are you trying to scare us? I'm just answering the question. It's an insane asylum. So the group stared and the sun was now setting before, below the tree lines. That made everything glow and it was so spooky. Uh, we should head back now. We don't want to be out when it gets dark. They waited for Rodney to finish the little rock carving and they start heading back to the cabin. The whole vibe is just spooky. None of them are even talking because they're listening. They want to make sure that there's only six crunches of the fall leaves. But when they get back, Craig, who's leading the group, he stops dead in his tracks, causing everyone to bump into each other right behind him. What the hell, Craig? They looked and they saw what Craig was looking at. It was a man cupping his hands onto the windows of the cabin, peering inside. Craig stepped forward, holding his walking stick like a weapon. Hey! The man turned around and he looked about their age, maybe a couple years older, it was hard to tell. He was thin, wearing a cable knit sweater with a white shirt underneath. His pants were green corduroys, they looked loose. He honestly looked kind of nerdy, geeky, but you know, interesting. There was no accent, but he sounded like a foreigner because he spoke, he spoke very formally. 
as if you learned English through one of those English textbooks versus actually speaking it. Uh, sorry, I was looking to see if someone was here. Well, that would be us. Oh, um, hello? Are you lost? Sort of. My car broke down a few miles away and I've been walking all afternoon. I saw this place and I was hoping here that somebody could f help me. Janelle jumped forward. All afternoon? You must be tired. A little. Then you should come in and party with us. I'm Janelle. These are my friends and it's my birthday. Wow. Oh, um, happy birthday. What's your name? I'm Joe. Joe Hanan. Now back to present time. When Jeff gets home, he seems concerned. Quincy is huddled on the couch with Lisa's book in her hands and her eyes are swollen from all the crying. Immediately, he could piece it together. And Quincy's saying it just doesn't make sense. I can't understand why she would kill herself after everything that she went through. It, it's such a waste. I thought Lisa was better than that. She, she used to say that there's nobility in being a survivor. Grace, too, you know? We have the power to inspire others and help people who are suffering. Like, you're telling me that's all bullshit? Anyway, sorry. I'm such a mess right now. All of this just feels so abnormal. Well, Quincy, yeah, of course it's abnormal. What happened was abnormal. But the thing I love about you most is that you don't let it define you. You've moved on. Jeff means well. He really does, okay? He doesn't know the intimate workings of Quincy's emotions, though. He wants her to be okay, so he keeps saying that she's okay. Which should make it okay, right? And don't get it wrong. She loves him. He's easy, he's safe, and he's perfectly normal. The book says he's like Ralph Lauren level normal. Like, so normal. <laughs> what the, what? Yeah, just so normal. Even when Quincy brought up Pine Cottage, most other guys ran for the hills. Not Jeff. He said all the right things. He didn't judge her, he didn't look at her with pity. And that's when she knew that he was the one. But there was a bit of a problem, and it's really not that big of a deal considering all the pros of their relationship, but they're life was pretty not what Quincy wanted. Quincy wanted to forget life when she's in the mood. But Jeff kept asking her, is that okay? Or is this better? How about now? Are you comfortable? It's thoughtful, yeah. But it's too much. Quincy believes that pain and pleasure are the same thing. So, that night, Jeff confronts Quincy about Lisa's passing. They had some mediocre sex and then they got into a fight. It's normal for couples to fight, but mainly they fought about Jeff's work. Quincy was the victim and survivor of a major crime. Jeff was a public defender trying to represent these criminals. Sure, some of them are innocent, but most of them were guilty of very, very, very bad crimes. Like murder. So Quincy can't sleep. After this whole fight, she stays up. She starts going through her emails, her website, work stuff. And then she comes across an email from lmilner at gmail.com. Lisa Milner? She opens it up and swallows hard. The email was short. It just said, Quincy, I need to talk to you. It's extremely important. Please, please don't ignore this. She reread that email a hundred times. 11 p.m. that day that Lisa died. That meant she called the police around midnight, meaning just an hour before her taking her own life, she tried to talk to Quincy about something urgent, important. She might have been the last person Lisa ever tried to contact. It didn't make sense. What would Lisa have wanted to talk to her about? And why would Lisa want to talk to her? She had other people that she was closer to, much closer to. What could have Quincy provided in her darkest times? And why email? It should yeah. be like a phone call or a text. Did Quincy not responding right away in some way lead to Lisa's death? No, she can't think that. She can't think that. 
Quincy's first instinct was to call Coop, but she knew that he would rush back to the city and that would take three hours and he was already so exhausted. So instead, she texted him. Hey Coop, call me when you get this. Um, no, no rush, nothing important. Quincy went back to the internet. News of Lisa's suicide was starting to spread. And so she felt like she needed some fresh air because the reporters were coming for her. The journalists were gonna be lining out the door. But that kind of ends up being a bad idea because a reporter was waiting for her when she gets downstairs. Quincy rolled her eyes and tried to walk fast into the cold New York City street, but he was tall, he kept up. Miss Carpenter, I'm Jonah Thompson? Yeah, Quincy remembered. He's the reporter that emailed, texted, and called a triple nuisance. No comment. I just have a few questions about Lisa Milner. Yeah, and I still have no comment. If you're still here when I get back, I'm calling the police. And Quincy broke out into a jog and headed for Central Park. She had a routine, a route that she likes, the route with the less trees surrounding it, the one that has less bends and curves. So if you're headed for the curve, you wouldn't see someone jump out at you. She didn't like those surprises. But the jog doesn't go as planned. All Quincy can think about is Lisa. And if Lisa had the knife in her hand when she emailed Quincy, was Quincy her last resort? Would things have even changed if Quincy had called her or responded to the email? Quincy Yu turned it back and started heading back home. And at the front of her building was another freaking journalist. Fuck. Well, this woman didn't seem like she worked for, I don't know, the New York Times or CNN or NBC 48 hours. She was in a leather jacket. Underneath that, a bodycon black dress and fishnet stockings and combat boots. Bright red lipstick. The shade of blood. She was smoking a cigarette leaned up against the building. Maybe it was like a blogger instead of a reporter? So as Quincy approaches her building, the two make eye contact. And she's staring at Quincy. She doesn't blink and there's something so familiar about her. And Quincy is having a hard time putting, placing her face to something. Quincy. No comment. I don't want to comment. Then what do you want? I just want to talk. About Lisa Milner? Yeah, and other stuff. Which makes you a reporter, and I have no comment. Jesus Christ, you don't have to be such a bitch. All I wanted to do is talk about what happened to Lisa. That it might be a good idea. Quincy looked up, and the woman threw the cigarette on the ground and put it out. Her voice was kind of raspy, seductive, like a, like a 60s movie. But also, as if she had been smoking for decades now. And then it clicks in her mind. Oh my god, this is not a freaking reporter. I know who exactly this is. Samantha Boyd. What? I prefer Sam. Quincy was shocked to say the least. She was not expecting Samantha Boyd at her doorstep. In fact, she had never even met Lisa in person, and they were much closer than she was with Samantha Boyd. She never even talked to Samantha Boyd other than that weird Oprah incident. Wow, you're really great at greetings, huh? Oh, sorry, Samantha, Sam. Hello, hi. Why are you here? It's not obvious to you. I'm here to see you. I thought it was time we finally met. A lot of things are flashing through her mind. Why now? I mean, where have you been all this time? Were you and Lisa close? And then the voice, the Lisa's voice, she always said, we're a rare breed. We have to stick together. And now that she was gone, there was nobody that could understand what she felt other than Samantha. So it kind of made sense. Sorry, do you want to um, come up or something? The apartment suddenly felt small with Samantha inside, even though it's a really big apartment considering it's in the Upper West Side. For some weird reason, Quincy feels the need to hide the fact that she clearly has money. She, she feels a bit guilty. She tries to change the subject for her, from her glaringly obvious fancy Upper East Side apartment or Upper West Side apartment. Where were you all those years? Here and there, you know, just laying low. Do you work? 
Yeah, um, I'm a blogger. I have a website called Quincy Sweets. The whole conversation felt stupid. Quincy felt stupid. Even telling her what she did for a living sounded so dumb. <laughs> That's a cute name. What do you post? Like kittens and cute sh Baked goods, cakes, cookies, muffins. I give recipes and decorating tips. I, I was featured on Food Network once. And immediately when those words come out, she wants to smack herself. Fucking bragging about the Food Network. Jesus Christ. Cool. Why cakes? Why not world hunger or politics or something? Uh, I always like to bake. It's one of the few things I'm good at. It relaxes me, makes me happy after, after what happened. You mean the Pine Cottage murders? Yeah. After that. I spent a lot of time baking. All the neighbors, everyone, they were so kind after what I went through and I just wanted to thank them somehow. So, Eddie, should we talk about what happened to Lisa? She killed herself. Of course we have to talk about it. Why do you think she did it? Maybe she couldn't take it anymore. They share a knowing look. I mean, take what? Take the grief, the guilt, the feeling that maybe you weren't supposed to survive. Maybe you were supposed to die. Maybe your survival isn't even worth it. Maybe it would have been better if you died. Is Lisa's suicide why you came out of hiding after all this time? What do you think? And you wanted to see me in person because you were curious what I was like? Oh, I already know everything I need to know about you. That's how. You'd be surprised. Oh. An unexpected challenge from the Miss Quincy Carpenter. It's, it's not a challenge, it's just a fact. I've got my secrets too. We all have secrets. But are you more than that young Martha Stewart you pretend to be in your blog? That's a real question. How, how do you even know I'm pretending? I'm not pretend... Because you're a final girl. It's different for us. I'm not a final girl. I'm just me. I, I'm not going to lie and say I don't think about what happened. I do. A lot. But I've moved past it. So you're telling me you've been cured by the therapeutic value of baking? It helps. Prove it. And that is how Sam and Quincy ended up in her fancy New York City apartment kitchen baking an orange pumpkin loaf. And Sam is new to the whole thing. She's only really ever microwaved. So this is a lot. Quincy, you're good at teaching. You should write a cookbook for like called Baking for Idiots or something. Oh, I thought about it. Not the idiots part, but just a regular cookbook. What about a book about Pine Cottage? It would be a very short book. Oh yeah? Anyway, <laughs> have you ever met Lisa in person? No, Lisa never got the pleasure. We talked on the phone about trauma and stuff. Anyway, where can I get one of those um, spatulas? Uh, drawer over there. Sam walks over and tries to pull for the kitchen drawer. It doesn't open. It's the locked drawer. And Quincy immediately picks. No, not that drawer, please. It's my top secret drawer for recipes. Sorry, <laughs> not trying to steal your recipes. Yeah, I know, sorry. It's the drawer right next to it, sorry. When Sam reaches for the other drawer, Quincy can see a big, bold tattoo on her wrist. The letters are capitalized and it says, Survivor. And it looks so bold. The tattoo almost screams like a threat. Like, come on, try and f*** with me. Just try it. It's almost like a challenge. So while banking, Sam reveals that she came because she wants to make sure Quincy is okay. She's worried that Quincy is depressed like Lisa and she can't help but feel like she could have prevented Lisa's suicide in some way. But Quincy keeps insisting, I'm happy. I'm more than happy. The website is doing well. My mental state, sure, it ebbs and flows, but my relationship with Jeff is better than ever. And, and you know what? Why don't you stay for dinner and meet Jeff? I'm gonna make a linguine with a homemade creamy sauce. Jeff's mom actually taught me. And freshly baked breadsticks and wine. 
So they set the table, Quincy got to cooking, and she's like, Jeff will be so excited when he walks in the door. That is until he sees Samantha. And he looks surprised, shocked, a little bit annoyed. Jeff, this is Sam. Sam, Jeff. Samantha Boyd? I prefer Sam. Sure. Hi, Sam. Uh... Quincy, can I talk to you for a second? Sorry, she just showed up, wanted to talk after what happened with Lisa. Anyway, I hope you don't mind that I asked her to stay for dinner. I mean, it's certainly a surprise. Yeah, I, I know, but it was all so sudden. You should have called me. Yeah, you would have tried to talk me out of it, and... I just think it's strange that she suddenly shows up like this. That's not normal, Quinn. You're sounding very suspicious, Mr. Lawyer. I mean, I would just feel better knowing why she's here exactly. I mean, me too. I invited her for dinner because, I don't know, I felt bad after all that she's been through and I think that she just may need a friend. Fine, we'll play nice. So the two of them walk back out to the dining table and it's like a fake little happy family. Quinn is smiling too hard and pouring too much wine into everybody's glasses and Jeff and Sam instantly take a disliking towards each other, but they're hiding it behind their sarcastic smiles. Quinn tells me you went off the radar for a few years. I like to think of it as laying low. What was that like? Peaceful. No one, and no one knowing who I was, what I had gone through, it's nice. Sounds like more of a fugitive than anything. I guess. Only, I didn't do anything wrong, remember? Yeah, then so why hide? Why not? Quincy feels nervous. The conversation is not going well. Jeff and Sam are practically eyeing each other up, seeing who's going to give up first. This is not good. Quincy starts drinking her wine, downing it, pouring another glass, refilling everybody's glasses. Like, shut the fork up. Let's talk about the weather. Let's even talk about politics. So Sam, where have you been living these days? Here and there. Where exactly? No place you've heard of. I've heard of all 50 states. I can recite most of their capitals, in fact. Um, Jeff, I think Sam wants to keep it a secret in case she wants to return there and live in anonymity. Besides, I'm sure she'll tell us eventually. Right, Sam? Right. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. Quinn was very broken up about Lisa. Me too. As soon as I heard, I decided to come and talk to her. So you knew she was in New York? Over the years, I kept tabs on her and Lisa. Interesting. For what reason exactly? Curiosity, I suppose. I liked knowing that they were doing okay, or at least thinking that they were doing okay. So Quincy's well-being is the only reason you're in the city? What other reason would there be? Maybe you're seeking publicity in wake of Lisa's death. Maybe you need the money. That's not why I'm here. Yeah, I hope not. I hope you only came in to check up on Quinn. Okay, I think we should make a toast to Elisa, right? Everybody grab your glasses. And although the three of us never got the chance to meet, I think that she is here in spirit and I think she would be pleased that at least two of us got together at last. Quinn thought it would be enough, but nope, Jeff starts right back up. So what do you do for a living, Sam? You know, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. I see. I'm in between jobs for the moment and you're a lawyer, right? A public defender. Interesting, but all types of people come around, huh? Yeah, they do. And all your clients are criminals? My clients are innocent till proven guilty, but most of them are, right? Proven guilty? I suppose you could say that. How does that make you feel? Knowing the guy sitting next to you in court did all those things that he's accused of. Are you asking me if I feel guilty about my job? Do you? No, I feel noble knowing that I'm one of the few people giving that guy the benefit of the doubt. But what if he did something really bad? Like murder several people? He still needs defending. 
What if the guy was the one that killed all those people at Nightlight Inn? Or maybe Pine Cottage? Knowing all of that, you would still be happy sitting next to that motherfucker and trying to keep him out of jail? Tension fills the air. Yeah, well, it must be nice to have something to blame for everything that went wrong in your life. Jeff, please stop. Quinn could do that, you know? God knows she has the right to, but she doesn't. She's managed to put it behind her. She's strong. She's not like some... Jeff, please! Some helpless victim who skipped out on their friends and family instead of trying to move past something that happened over more than a decade ago. Enough! Jeff! Bedroom! Now! Dang. Yeah. You can imagine how awkward that conversation is between Jeff and Quinn in the bedroom. They're whispering, but both parties are heated, so it's clear that they keep getting louder and louder, and it's clear that Sam can hear them outside. What's wrong with you? You didn't need to be so harsh. What, after what she said, I think I did, Quinn? I mean, you have to admit, you started it. I was just being curious. No, you were being suspicious. This isn't court. Well, don't you think that she's being evasive? No, I don't. She doesn't want to talk about the stuff. I don't blame her. She's sensitive. Bullshit. She was egging me on. And in the end, Quinn drops, drops the bomb. She tells Jeff that she needs Samantha around because of the email. She feels guilty about the email of never being able to help Lisa. She can't get over the fact. Maybe if she just responded to the email, Lisa would be alive. So yeah, she wants someone that she can talk to, someone that understands what she went through. And she too wants to make sure that Samantha is okay. She understands why Samantha showed up. So the two of them make up and they agree to be nice to help. But when they walk out of that bedroom hand in hand, Samantha Boyd has vanished yet again. So they clean up and jump into bed trying to forget the events of that night. But at 3 a.m., Quincy's phone wakes her up. Hello? Quincy? Sam? Where did you go? Why are you calling me so late? I'm sorry, I really am. But um, something's happened. I need your help. What, what, what happened? I've been arrested. What? Please come get me and Central Park Precinct. Bring Jeff. And she hangs up. Jeff is now up in bed staring at Quincy. I don't know. And they take a cab straight to the precinct and rush in. We're looking for a Samantha Boyd? Yeah, sorry. We haven't brought anyone in by that name. She was here like 20 minutes ago. She called me. Ma'am, I just checked the system. I got nothing. Well, have any other women been brought in recently? One, 35 minutes ago. Oh, wh what's her name? I'm afraid that's confidential. <sighs> Jeff pulls out his wallet, flashes his ID, and explains that he's a public defender. We're not here to cause trouble. A friend claimed to be in police custody here. We just want to make sure. Please, we're just worried about her. And then they see Sam being cuffed to the book. That's her! That's her! That's her! Sam! Sam! Are you sure you guys know each other? Both Quincy and Sam nod. Yes, her name is Samantha Boyd, and I'm sure whatever happened is a big misunderstanding. That's not the name that she gave the arresting officer, though. What do you mean? It says here her name is Tina Stone. Tina Stone, is that true, Sam? Changed my name a while back. Y you changed your name to Tina Stone? Yeah, legally, because, you know. Quinn understood. Every time someone sees your name, they treated you with pity or angry or they wanted to kill you for some reason because you survived and for some reason that pisses some sick people off. Well, um, okay, that makes sense. Jeff is like, well, now that we got that squared away, can I, can I ask what she's being charged for? Are you her attorney? I guess. Well, Miss Stone faces charges of third-degree assault on a police officer and resisting arrest. What? Sam and the police try to fill Jeff in on what happened, and they kind of had their own stories. Sam said, I was at a bar. I had a few drinks. I went outside for a little smoke, right? I see a man beating up on his girlfriend. It was heated. He kept shoving the woman hard. I stepped up. I mean, I was breaking up the fight. You attacked him, Miss Stone. You punched him in the face. 
Well, anyway, I punched him in the face. Uh, he called the cops, and I was asking his wife if she was okay, if he had hit her before, if this thing happens a lot, if she needs help, and then the cops came. And then they ran after me, so I ran through Central Park, and then, um, you know, they brought out the handcuffs. But, you know, they were arresting me for no goddamn reason. You hit a man. Ma'am, you assaulted a man. I was trying to help. He looked like he was gonna beat the shit out of his wife, okay? He probably would have if I didn't do something. I was just mad. The injustice of it all. They were after me and not him, even though he beat his wife. So I knocked the hat off the cop just out of frustration. I just knocked it off. It's just his hat for fuck's sake. It's not like I hurt him or anything. Well, ma'am, it appeared that you wanted to. Jeff pulled the officer aside. Sam and Quim stood there staring at their feet. Sam was too angry to pay attention to their conversation, but Quinn was listening. It was all normal stuff. Jeff, Jeff trying to say, this is all a big misunderstanding. Misunderstanding my ass, she hit a cop. And then, very quickly, Jeff played his card and Quinn's heart sank. She would never have wanted it if she was in Sam's shoes. If you knew what she had gone through, you would understand why she behaved that way. Quinn couldn't hear the rest, but she heard nightlight in murders, and then she saw the officer turn to Sam with just pity in his eyes. Yeah, it's the look of someone when they realize that they're standing in front of a final girl. She's seen that look a lot. And just like that, Sam was free to go. Charges were all dropped. Wow. Okay. They start walking through the chill air of New York City. Thanks for helping me out, Jeff. After all the shit that I said tonight, I wouldn't blame you if you let me rot in that cell. You're welcome. I'm not such a bad guy, am I now? Right. And she hugs Quinn. It's good to finally meet you. Wait, you're leaving? I think I've caused enough trouble. I, I only wanted to see how you were doing, and now I... Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. No, you're doing great, and I'm happy for you, babe. Well, where are you going to go? Here and there. Take care of yourself, okay? And Sam starts walking away, or maybe she's only pretending, knowing that Quinn is going to try and stop. Wait, stop, Sam. I know you don't have a place to stay. Just come home with us. And just like that, another bedroom meeting. Just one night, Quinn. But this night is almost over. Two nights at least, please. We are <sighs> not negotiating here. Why do you hate her so much? Why are you so gung-ho for this? Shouldn't even bother to tell you her real name. I know her real name. Samantha, she's not a stranger. She's a person who went through the same things that I went through, who now needs a place to stay. You don't think that's weird? Who travels to New York City without money or a plan or anything? Someone who's really upset about what happened to Lisa Milner and wants to do something about it. Jeff ends up apologizing and Quinn slams their bedroom door shut while she walks out. She joins Sam in the guest room and it's a small, tiny little room. We're in New York City after all. The two girls are laying in bed with a bottle of wild turkey passing between them. It's like really disgusting vodka, I'm assuming. It's a big bottle and it's very strong. No wonder Sam's backpack looked so damn heavy. She had this giant bottle in there. And they chit-chat and Quinn can't help but... Sam reminds her so much of Janelle, her best friend who died at Pine Cottage. And Sam opens the window and starts smoking next to it. You want one? No, I don't smoke. I didn't either until after what happened. I just needed something to calm me down, you know? Yeah, well, I don't smoke, but 
my poison is Xanax, red wine, white wine, any wine in between really. So I'm surprised you and Lisa never started smoking. It just came so natural to me. I tried it once, I didn't like it. How did you know that Lisa didn't smoke? I assumed by looking at her and she didn't mention it in her book ever. Do you think about it a lot? Constantly. Do you ever want to talk about it? You think it only happens in the movies, that it couldn't ever happen in real life, at least not like that and certainly not to you, but it happened. First at a sorority house in Indiana, then at a motel in Florida and Calvin Whitemer, the sack man, you said his name. Why wouldn't I? I've never said his name, not, not once. It doesn't bother me. I mean, I think about him all the time. I can see him when I close my eyes, you know? I can still see him. He had cut eye holes onto the sack and a little slit over his nose for air, and I'll never forget the way that that little slit flapped when he breathed. He had tied string around his neck to keep the sack in place. Wow, sorry. What about you? You remember any details? A few, not much. I heard it's not real, that repressed memory stuff. Trust me, it's real. And you don't mind not remembering? I just think it's better that way, you know, that I don't. But you don't want to know what really happened? I, I know the end result and that's all I need to know. I heard it's still standing, Pine Cottage. You ever think about going back there and taking a look? Maybe it'll help you remember. No, God, never. Do you think about him? No. I figured you would say that. Quinn looks down at the bottle of wild turkey and she has realized that she has drinking a lot and Sam has barely touched it. So she feels herself starting to lose balance and even though she's sitting on the bed and Sam is egging her on like Janelle would have. Prove it that you don't think of him. Say his name. We should just try to sleep. It's getting late or early. I don't know. There's no reason to be scared, you know? I'm not. It's not like saying his name is gonna bring him back to life. He's not the boogeyman. I know. Then why are you being such a pussy about it? Say it. Say his name. If you're so over what happened, then it shouldn't be a big deal to say his name. I'm just gonna go to bed. Just say it once for me. Why are you making such a big deal out of this? I don't wanna say it. Why are you so against it? Because he doesn't deserve to have his name spoken after what he did. No one should ever say his fucking name. Okay, sorry. You don't have to freak out about it. Apparently I do, because I was doing you a favor by letting you sleep here, and if we're going to be friends, you need to know that I don't talk about Pine Cottage. I've moved past it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be such a bitch. Quinn slides off the bed and tries her best to not look drunk, but she's wasted. She makes it to the door and she tells Sam, maybe it's best you leave in the morning. And she flops into bed with Jeff and she's awake in the dark. I heard screaming, everything okay? Yeah, fine, just exhausted. But Quinn can't stop thinking about it. Sam wanted her to remember, Sam wanted her to say his name, but why? Before she has the answers, the wild turkey knocks her out. And the next morning, she wakes up to clanking and clacking in the, in the kitchen. Jeff is long gone to work, and Sam is in the kitchen looking like a tornado came right in behind her. And she says, lemon blueberry muffins? I found the recipe on your blog. Should I be impressed? Probably not, but I was hoping you would be. Listen, last night I was being a bitch. You were all being nice, and... <sighs> Sam, I just don't want to talk about Pine Cottage. It's off limits, okay? I'm focused on the future, and you should be too. Got it. And I would like to make it up to you if you let me stay long enough to, of course. Why are you really here? Isn't wanting to meet you enough? It should be, but it's not your only reason. All these questions, all this prodding, why are you here? You really wanna know? Yes, I need the truth if you're gonna stay. 
I came to see if you were as angry as I was. About Lisa? No, angry about being a final girl. Well, I'm not. Maybe you should be. I know you're not past it, just like I'm not past it, and we'll never get past it unless we pull a Lisa Milner. We got stuck with a raw deal, babe. Life swallowed us whole and shit us out, and everyone else just wants us to get over it and act like it didn't happen, but we can't. At least we survived. Sure, and your life has been perfect ever since? No, it's not perfect, but I'm fine. Oh yeah, obviously. What is that supposed to mean? And Sam pulls out a phone, and there's a penis on the screen. I'm gonna take a wild guess and say that's not Jeff's penis and this isn't your phone. Quinn's eyes frantically fall on the locked drawer, her secret drawer with all the stolen stuff, and there are marks all over the lock. You picked the lock? Yeah, one of my few skills. I told you to leave it alone. Oh my god. What, like, what kind of people? You let them stay and yeah. that's what they're doing? Come not on. Nice. I'm not gonna tell anyone. Honestly, it's a relief knowing that there's something dark underneath all this happy homemaker baking bullshit. I'm not judging you. I've stolen things too. Well, this has nothing to do with what happened at Pine Cottage. Right, because you're completely normal. You know what? Fuck you, Sam. Now that's what I'm talking about. Show some emotion, Quinn. That's why I wanted you to say his name. That's why I broke into your secret goodie drawer. I want to see you get angry. You earned the rage. Don't try to hide behind your website with fucking cakes and muffins. You're messed up and so am I. It's okay to admit it. We're damaged. Quinn pa brushes past her and grabs a Xanax. You got any for me? Quinn gives her one and washes hers down with grape soda. Interesting method. Spoonful of sugar. The song does not lie, okay? Whatever gets the job done, I guess. Give me another one. Quinn gives her another pill. You're not going to go for seconds, Quinn? And it feels more like a dare than a question. So Quinn pops another one and then another, and they're having a Xanax eating contest, and it's clear it's not going to end well. Quinn thinks about how Lisa would not approve, but who cares? In 15 minutes, the Xanax has kicked in, and both of them are on cloud nine, floating, drifting, feeling fantastic. Sam's like, let's go somewhere, Quinn. Where? And before she can answer, they're out the door, floating through Central Park, and then they get to Fifth Avenue, the bougie place. Hermes, Chanel, Saks. They're running into Saks, giggling, feeling on top of the world. Oh my god, Quinn, what do you think of this skirt? Do you think it'll look good on me? That would look amazing on you. Give me your purse. Stop, you're not going to steal it, are you? It's not stealing if we've earned it. And we've earned it after what we went through. We earned it big time. Give me your purse. The two of them steal a skirt, a blouse, earrings, and um, a bunch of other stuff. What? Quinn tries to not panic, but she sees a guy just eyeing them. Fuck, we gotta get out of here. We've been spotted by security. Sam grabs her arm and they start leading each other out. But the guy follows behind. Excuse me! Excuse me, miss! And just as they feel the cool air of the outside world, he grabs her Quinn's arm. Stop! Let go of her! We don't know you, man. But I know you. You guys are the final girls, right? Please, can I just get an autograph? and he pulls out the latest newspaper with their faces on the front covers. If you just sign this, and Quinn feels like throwing up. They snatch the paper and they run off, and it's a picture of them yesterday when Sam is in front of Quinn's house, and she thought that Sam was a reporter, and they both look angry and confused, and it's written by Jonah freaking Thompson, that motherfucker. Quinn starts Googling where his office is and starts making a beeline for it. This isn't a good idea, Quinn. Says the one who encouraged me to shoplift. I don't care, I'm still going. Whatever floats your boat, but I'm not. You're not pissed? Sure, but you have to ch pick and choose your battles. Doesn't matter what you say to that reporter. You're still front page, babe. I'm gonna... The picture was in front of my house. People will know where I live. Freaks who want to kill me will know where I live now. 
Sam stops moving with Quinn, but Quinn doesn't care. She wants to have a word with Jonah. When she gets to his sleek office, she asks security to come call him down. I'm Quincy Carpenter. He's going to want to talk to me. Not too long after, Jonah comes down to the fancy lobby. Quincy, you changed your mind about talking? I'm here to get an apology, you son of a bitch. Now the whole goddamn city knows where I live. Quincy, nowhere in that article did it have your address or the street name or mention where you live. Yeah, but you showed it to the whole world, which means any psycho can come stalk me now. Listen, there's something that you need to know about the article. Quinn tries to walk away and he grabs her arm and she screams, Don't touch me! And he says, Please, it's about Samantha Boyd. She's lying to you. Just listen to me. But Quinn is pissed. She keeps shoving him and shoving him and the anger is getting to her. She shoves him until he falls onto the ground and the folder that was tucked underneath his arm drops and pictures of him are everywhere. The killer from what? Pine Cottage. Quinn throws up all over the articles. 6.15 p.m. Pine Cottage. Flashback. The group invite Joe into the cottage for dinner. The plan was that everyone was going to help cook this fancy dinner and they would all rush upstairs to change into their Sunday best. Janelle had ordered everyone to bring something classy and they would sit around the table pretending to be distinguished little adults. Amy and Bets were doing the roast chicken and sides. Quinn was on cake duty. Janelle was bartender. While they're cooking, Quinn whispered to Janelle, How long are you going to let him stay? As long as he likes. Like all night? Seriously? Sure, I mean, it's getting late and there's plenty of room, plus it could be fun. Nobody else agreed. They all held their tongue because that's what Janelle wanted and it was her birthday, but even Joe looked like he didn't want to be here. Well, what if Joe wants to go home? Isn't that right, Joe? I, uh, don't want to be a bother. It's no bother at all, unless you have somewhere to be, right? We have plenty of food and drink and a couch and not to mention an extra bed for you to crash on, and it's my birthday. And a car? With phones, Janelle? You know, Craig could call him a tow truck or drive him anywhere he needs to go, like, I don't know, his own car or his house, right, Joe? Well, that would take hours, besides Joe wants to party and we're all friends. Technically, he's still a stranger. Janelle smiled at her and walked off and shouted, We're all here to have fun, right? So let's have fun! So it was settled. Joe was going to be staying and the birthday girl would get her wish again. She even made Joe at home by making him drinks. I've never had a drink before. Never? Not even with your friends? Uh, what? No friends? I have friends. A girlfriend? Maybe. I don't know what she is. Bets rolls her eyes. Imaginary is my best guess. Stop. Be nice. Well, drink up. Does anybody have a knife to cut some more limes? And Janelle grabs a carving knife and she starts slicing her finger by accident. Damn it! Quinn runs over and starts helping bandage it up. Janelle is screaming the whole way through. The commotion even got Joe to come back over to see what was going on. And he lowered his gaze to the knife on the counter and the blood on the blade. That looks sharp. You need to be more careful. And he picked it up to inspect it. Back to present day. Quinn waits for Jeff to pick her up and bring her home. And, you know, she tries to tell him it's probably the stomach bug or something, but um, nothing serious. I can just sleep it off. And she does. And this time, Jeff wakes her up to tell her that, hey, I think maybe Sam should stay. What? I mean, I spent all day thinking about it, and you're right. I, I wasn't the nicest to her, and I'm sorry. Plus, I've been really busy at work with this case. The defendant I'm representing is going to trial for... Allegedly killing a cop, so I'm going to be super busy, and I don't like the idea of you being home alone all day. So you want her to stay as my babysitter? Companion, and she's actually the one that suggested it. Thought that she could be your baking assistant during your busy holiday season. 
Are you sure, Jeff? You don't really like having guests over. It's our house. I'm sure. And in that moment, Quinn is so thankful to have Jeff because she can't help but think that without Jeff, she would have just ended up just like Sam, angry, pissed off at the whole world. And then her phone rings. It's Coop. S sorry, I have to get this. Hello? Why didn't you tell me that Samantha Boyd contacted you? I was gonna call you. She showed up at my place yesterday. She thought that after what happened to Lisa, it would be a good idea for both of us to connect. Is she still there? Yeah, she's staying with us. Do you think that's a good idea? I'm concerned. Why did she come out of hiding out of nowhere? You have to admit it's strange. You're starting to sound like Jeff. Well, do you think that I should come to the city and get a read on her? I'd, I'd love to meet her. Why? Because I don't trust her. I want to make sure that she's not up to something. I have the day off tomorrow and the weather's supposed to be nice, so the drive will be fine. How does noon sound? Usual place. Okay, it's a date. Just be careful, Quinn. She's a stranger at the end of the day. One who experienced a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. We don't know if it messed her up. We don't know what she's capable of. He really cares for her, huh? Yeah. Quinn's blood runs cold. The words are coming back to her before she threw up. Jonah had said, Samantha Boyd, she's lying to you. And she didn't want to tell Coop because that would just stress him out. Um, I, I think you'll like her when you see her, she says and hangs up. That night, Quinn can't sleep again. She sneaks out of bed and as quietly as possible makes her way to where Sam is. It's open. Uh, Jeff told me that you guys talked and I'm just happy to have you here longer. Just yell if you need something. Make yourself at home. And tomorrow we're meeting a guy named Franklin Cooper, if you don't mind. Oh, the cop who saved your life? Right, he wants to meet you. Say hi. Oh, see if I'm psycho. Sure, which means we don't mention the Xanax or the stealing. Yeah, got it. I'll be on my best behavior. I won't even swear. Hey, you want to go to Central Park? Sure, after meeting Coop, the cafe's nearby. We can go to Central Park if you want. No, right now. That's, that's not a good idea. But Sam is already putting on her jacket. Also, I've been meaning to ask, how did the thing with Jonah go? You cuss him out? Uh, yeah, but... You know, why didn't you come? You were so down for everything else, but why didn't you come? Because you need to pick your battles. Anyway, how did it feel when you confronted him? Quinn wants to lie, but she knows she felt good. She knows that angry made her feel powerful. It made her feel radiant. I felt good. Getting angry always feels good. Are you still mad? Yeah. Well, what are you going to do about it? Let's go. So the two of them, they start walking to Central Park in the dead of night in New York City. Not a good plan. Even Quinn knows the second that they get outside Central Park. Sure, it's Central Park, but it feels like a forest, okay? And it's huge, and it's dark. But she has Sam, and she has pepper spray. It should be okay, right? But she keeps begging. What are we even doing here? You'll see. They keep walking. They see other people. They're like shadows, really. Mainly men walking alone, looking for sex, sex work, or worse. To mug people, to assault people. Jill, just follow me. And a man comes up from them and, um, you know, asks for a cigarette. Sam gives him one, and she's just so casual with these people. After he leaves, Quinn is like, I want to go home. Fine, go. You're, you're not coming? What are we doing here? Shh! Quinn looks to see what got Sam's attention, and there is a woman holding her bag in front of her, tight against her chest, looking around, briskly walking her way through. They know the type. This is not a girl who wants to be in Central Park at this time. She probably wanted to save on cab fare. The subways are down. Thought it was an easy walk through the park to get home. It was not smart. The park is nothing like what it's like during the day. But worse, behind her, there's a shadow following her. Sam, do you think he's going to mug her or... 
And before she responds, the shadow man is already on the girl, reaching for her bag or her boobs. We don't know. Next thing Quinn knows, Sam is on top of the man, attacking him. And then the man kicks her in the stomach, sending her rolling in the grass, and he's trying to leave. He's not going after the girl, which Quinn has now pulled to the side. But something in Quinn snaps. She runs after him and tries to pepper spray him, but she sees his big arm coming straight at her face, and then boom, she just got backhanded. And she opens her eyes to see the blurry figure running off into the darkness. They get the girl into the cab. Quinn hands her a bunch of bills. Don't ever walk through the park alone at night. Quinn's face is on fire when she wakes up the next morning. There's no strong bruise, bruise, not quite yet, but the reality has set in. That was so freaking dumb. Sure, she felt empowered in the moment, but he could have had a knife or a gun. She could have been stabbed, shot, or killed. She was lucky to just been slapped in the face. Quinn takes her Xanax with her grape soda and waits on Sam to come out of her room. They have to go meet Coop. And damn, Sam cleans up nice. She went for a no makeup makeup look and she was wearing jeans, flats, and a stolen blouse from Saks and she looked nothing like Sam at all. They start walking to the cafe and Quinn notices a lot of guys are checking out Sam's new look. And they're looking at Quinn comparing them, okay? And Sam is winning this competition. Even Coop keeps doing a double take as they're walking into the cafe. Honestly, the meeting was uneventful. It seemed Coop approved of Samantha a little too much, if Quinn was being honest with herself. He even gave Sam a hug, something that he never gave Quinn, except for that night that he saved her, and that bothered her. She even pulled Sam into the bathroom and gave her a lecture. Just tone it down, will you? Why? Am I making things awkward between you two? What? No, he, he's a friend. Right, a friend. I'm not arguing. I'm in no way suggesting that you want to get off with a hot cop. I never noticed that he was hot. I call bullshit on that one. Hard to not notice how hot he is. Seriously, I have never... Not once in... He saved my life. When someone does something like that, you tend to not think of them in that way. Guys do. They think like that all the time. They pretend they don't, but they do. Well, if he did, he's too much of a gentleman about it. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll tone it down. Everything about Sam reminded Quinn of Janelle, her best friend. 7 p.m., Pine Cottage. Flashback. Everyone got dressed for dinner. Quinn needed a bit of help. She brought two dresses and Janelle yelled at her for both of them, saying that they made her look like Virgin Mary. And there was no way that Craig would want to peel her out of those clothes. She had to admit, Janelle was kind of right. Janelle lent her a white dress. It was a white silk halter top dress. It was a little bit too short, a little bit too body hugging, but honestly, it looked good. And you look good, Quinn. The color says virgin, but the form says sex. It's the best of both worlds. He's gonna love it. And then gave her the birds and the bees talk. It's gonna take some getting used to. It's gonna hurt, but there's pleasure and pain. They're the same thing. Why did you invite Joe to dinner? He's kind of creepy. He's mysterious and kind of hot. And taken, you're forgetting that he has a girlfriend. Whatever, I plan on keeping him very entertained. Back to present day. Coop insists on walking them back to Quinn's place. And when they get there, everyone stops in their tracks. There are reporters all around her freaking place trying to snap more pictures. But why? It doesn't make sense. Lisa died a few days ago. And in the news cycle, that is old news. They would have already moved on to the Kardashians or something. Why suddenly all the reporters out of nowhere? She turns to the others. Guys, something happened. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Girls, stay calm. We don't know for certain why they're here. We should grab a cab and leave before they see us. Maybe go to a hotel, Jeff's office? Yeah, and in the meantime, I can find out what they're here, give some cops a call. No, we can't just stay out here hiding forever. And before Coop and Quinn can react, Sam is already walking to the front door, marching. All the cameras start clicking. Sam is yelling, get the f out of our f way. We don't have f nothing to f say to you. F 
fucking no comment. So that's no comment? Sounds the fucking way to me, doesn't it? You're really not going to say anything about Lisa Milner? And Quinn looks confused. Jonah's face pops up from the crowd. She didn't kill herself. Her death has been ruled a homicide. <laughs> Lisa Milner was murdered. Same. The three make no comments and rush in. Even Sam has stopped cursing. And inside Quinn's apartment, Coop is getting the inside scoop from officers in Indiana. Here's what they know so far. The night that Lisa died, she drank two glasses of Merlot, but she wasn't alone. There was another wine glass that was taken from the apartment, but they found a wine glass ring stain. She let this person in. They shared wine. Lisa's drink was spiked with a strong antidepressant that is often used as a sleep aid. She had so much in her system, it could have knocked out a big adult gorilla. She had consumed enough that that alone would have killed her. But there's more. The medical examiner studied Lisa's wrist and the cuts were strange. They were deeper than most self-inflicted wounds and especially if the person doing the cutting was drugged out of her mind. The direction of the cuts didn't make sense. It, it just would have been such a far fetch, a far throw for Lisa to have cut herself in such an unusual way. Someone spiked her wine and then they cut her wrist, stating it was a suicide. Then there's the 911 call. It was suspected that Lisa managed to call 911, but the killer probably took the phone from her because she was so drugged out and she couldn't even fight back. They hung up. That's why she never said anything. The police were going to check on her and uh, maybe that's why the killer cut her wrist. Maybe the original plan was to just have her die by the meds, but um, the police were coming now. So they had to rush it and stage it to make it look more like a suicide. And while the Indiana cop is on speakerphone with Coop telling all the details, Quinn can't stop thinking about that freaking email Lisa sent her, and now she was dead. No, she was murdered. Sam was on the couch sinking deeper and deeper into the couch cushions, and the officer on the phone said, I'm not gonna lie to you. They got very little to work with. Things might be different if these idiots had searched her place the minute that they found her body, like I told them to, but they didn't. So God knows how many people went through Lisa's place before the whole scene was compromised. Fingerprints all over the place, friends, family, everyone. I mean, it's not looking good. Quinn said, should I be worried? I don't think that there's any cause for you to worry. There's nothing to suggest that this has anything to do with what happened to all of you. But what, what if it might? And Coop butts in. Quinn, is there something you're not telling me? I know I should have said something, I should have told you days ago, but I got an email from Lisa. Coop and Sam both snapped. When? About an hour before she died, to be exact. Well, tell us what it said, every word. It was a short email, she recited it, and she said, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't know. I just didn't know what to do. Yes, but you should have told me, Quinn. This could have changed things. I know. The email could have given the police a reason to do a better search of Lisa's place, which meant that they might have found out earlier that she had been murdered, which means a higher chance of catching a killer. Quinn hated herself for not saying something. Well, it doesn't mean that you or Samantha are in danger, says the officer on the phone. And Coop says it might not mean anything at all. Or it might mean that someone was targeting us and Lisa knew it. But who would do that, Quinn? Lots of people, crazy people, like the letter. Coop knows what she's talking about. A few years ago, Quinn got a letter written on a typewriter and it said, you shouldn't be alive, you should have died in the cabin, it was your destiny to be sacrificed. They never caught who wrote it. There were no fingerprints on the paper or the envelope, no DNA, and it was traced to a public mailbox in Quincy, Illinois. Yeah, not a coincidence. Jeff tried to tell her it was a coincidence, but Coop took it seriously. He tried everything to find out who sent it, but even the police force had its limits. Don't worry, Quinn. The letter was sent by a sick, deranged person. Nothing came out of it. Exactly. Nothing ever happened to that psycho creep who sent it. They're still out there. Maybe he wrote to Lisa or to Sam and decided to finally take action with Lisa. 
No, I haven't gotten any mail in a long time. It's one of the perks of nobody knowing where you are, I guess. Well, now they know where you are. Coop leans into the phone. Hey, Nancy, did Lisa get any threats? A few. We treated them all seriously. We even tracked down one of the senders. They were all just sick bastards. They were certainly not any killers. Okay, thanks. Well, just let us know. And they hang up. And Sam starts sobbing. Or maybe she's been crying this whole time. Or maybe she wanted them to know that she was crying. Her shoulders are shaking, and she said, I'm, I'm sorry, this whole situation is just... It's getting to me. Coop sits down next to Sam, and is all like, It's okay to feel upset. This is a bad situation. And he puts his fucking arm around her. And gives her a hug. The hug that Quincy was denied for months that she needed. Quincy leaves the room and takes another Xanax in the kitchen before starting to bake. Apple dumplings. That's what she's going to make. Coop finally comes over to ask how she's doing, and they have this strange moment where he cups her chin and lifts her head forward. Very sexual. What and then he, do? he like lifts her head forward like this, and is like, are you okay? And then Jeff walks in, meeting Coop for the first <gasps> time. I mean, the guy looks surprised. Can you blame him? Here's George Clooney, but ripped, but also a police officer standing in your kitchen with your girlfriend. But his look of surprise washes away when he realizes who it is. Who it is. And instead of, you know, looking upset, he looks grateful. And uh, coup please. That night, Quinn can't sleep again. She finds herself outside Sam's door. Come on in, Quinn. Sam looks like she's ready to go out. She throws her purse at Quinn. It's filled with heavy books. What is this for? Bait. Let's go. Quinn doesn't argue this time. She follows Sam out, and they're back at Central Park. They're looking for a release, another predator, to try and hurt a girl so that they can step in and beat him. To a bloody pulp? Reckless? Yes. The most atrocious crime of the year? Not exactly. For a while, there are no incidents, nothing happening. The girls are getting impatient. They can't wait here all night. So they form a devious plan. Quinn is going to walk around with her big purse, looking scared, innocent, naive, like she's just walking through the park to get home. Meanwhile, Sam is going to be hiding in the bushes near her, following her. And when someone approaches Quinn, trying to rob her, or worse, Sam will jump out of the bushes, and the two of them will gang up on the guy and jump them, release their anger, and that was their stellar rock star plan. It's really bad. Yeah. No. Yeah. What are they doing? What is this? So they start walking, and soon enough, a man is lingering around, waiting to cross paths with Quinn, and she could see him coming in their direction. His head was down, but he kept looking at her. She could feel it. And when they pass each other, he stops, and his eyes are crazy. They're rolling around in his sockets. He's definitely an addict that needs a fix. I don't want to bother you, ma'am, but I need some food for money, okay? No response. He gets closer, more aggressive. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm real hungry. You got food in there? Some cash I can get? No, I don't. You sure you got nothing in there? Are you threatening me? Well, ma'am, I ain't doing nothing. You're bothering me, that's something. <sighs> You're one cold bitch. What did you just say? Quinn was waiting for Sam to pop out of those bushes, but she's getting angry. You think you're tough shit, don't you? Bet you thought I would quake at the sight of you and hand over whatever you wanted? Quinn felt so good she couldn't stop. She pushed him and his arms start flailing, trying to maintain his balance. You just fucking hit me, didn't you? You just fucking hit me. And she keeps pushing him. No, I didn't. And she just drops her purse and starts punching him. Hey, stop it. And the man stumbles and the pocket knife falls out of his pocket and Quinn's heart stops. He reaches for the knife and she slams into him and she stands up and starts kicking him, punching him on the face. Quinn lost her mind. She hears him crying and she feels wetness, his blood everywhere. And all Quinn can see is with him and the knife. All she can feel is rage, just rage. And she gets up and starts kicking him more, and with every kick she says, Janelle, Craig, Amy, Rodney, Betts. 
And then finally a voice behind her, Quincy, for God's sake, stop! Sam drags her out. Quinn looks down to see herself covered in blood. And the man, his eyes are swollen shut. He's a broken nose, it's seeping blood, and he doesn't move. Sam walks over to feel for her pulse, and she looks worried. Sam, he's alive, right? Sam grabs her by the arm and drags her out. All Quinn could say was, what did I do? Sam, what did I do? They move quickly through the park, and Sam finds this big fountain for Quinn to wash the blood off her hands, literally. And all Quinn can do is feel dazed. Sam tries to snap out of it. Come on, he's still alive. Snap out of it. We've got to get home. No, I just murdered a man. What? No, I felt a pulse, okay, Quinn? Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Now let's get out of here. No, we should, we should call the cops or something. What? I, I was acting in self-defense. He had a knife. Was he going to use it? I don't know, but he still had it, right? The police wouldn't charge me if they knew that. They would if they knew our reason for being out here tonight. We have to go. If they knew that you were luring someone, if they found out that you could have gotten away, they would blame you. They could have gotten away. You were there? You saw it? Yeah. Then why didn't you help? You didn't need my help. He had a knife. You sat back and you f***ing watched. I wanted to see what you would do. Well, I almost f***ing killed a man. Are you happy now? Was that the reaction you were looking for? Why didn't you try to stop me? The question you should be asking yourself, Quinn, is why didn't you try to stop yourself? Sam convinces her to not call the police, mainly for Jeff, because this could ruin Jeff, like his whole career. So Quinn follows Sam, they sneak out of the park, and at home, everything is a blur. Quinn is in a trance as she slips into the bath and the water is now running pink. It makes her feel even more dizzy. Sam comes in to pick up her bloody clothes. What are you doing with those? Don't worry, I know what to do. She carries them out of the bathroom, and it takes a minute for Quinn, but she starts to feel her head clear up, and the questions start coming. How does Sam know what to do with her bloody clothes? Why was she so calm fleeing the crime scene? Why did she watch me beat up the guy? And then, oh my god, the fucking purse! They left the fucking purse in the park! Quinn's not going to sleep. She's pacing the room. Sam's like, don't worry about it, babe. If it was important, I wouldn't have taken it with us, okay? Now get some sleep. Any sleep that she had was plagued by nightmares. Nightmares of Pine Cottage and nightmares of Sam handing her a bloody purse. So Quinn decides early in the morning she's going to go for a jog. In the park. Mainly to see. Maybe the purse is there. It's not. In its place is yellow crime scene tape everywhere. Quincy sees a group of women whispering gathered around the tape. Uh, what's, uh, what's going on? Guy got attacked. Real bad. Wow, that's awful. Is he going to be okay? One of the cops said he's in a coma. City's full of sickos these days. Quincy runs back home, heart pumping, rushes into the shower. She just wanted all of this to go away, but her day was about to get worse. Jeff announced that he had to go to Chicago for work. Yeah, okay, so he's gonna leave just her and Sam. Quincy is like, should we at least tell Coop? No, God, no. At the end of the day, I don't care how hot he is or how much you wanna fuck him, he's still a cop. And on the inside, Quinn's not sure, but it makes sense. Coop knows her as someone else, someone who survived, not someone who's going looking for trouble, beating people up. And then Quincy gets a call. It was a blur, but she gathered a few words. Central Park Precinct, man, coma, purse, a few questions. Um, of course I'll be right there, officer. Now, flashback. Two days after Pine Cottage, Detective Colin Fremont are questioning Quincy, and she thinks that this might as well be called good cop and bad cop, like they're really playing into their roles. They really sold it. Listen, miss. Miss Carpenter, right? We're just confused and curious, you know? Things just don't add up. Things? Yeah, we have a few questions, or a lot of questions. I already told you everything I know. 
Yeah, which isn't a whole lot, Miss Carpenter. Yeah, because I don't remember a whole lot. Well, we're hoping that you could try and remember more. Like, we would appreciate that. Quincy tried for the 100th time since Pygon Cottage two days ago. She tried. She saw Janelle emerging from the woods bloody, the flash of a knife, and then she remembered running through the woods covered in blood with branches whacking her face, and everything in between is still gone. But she tried anyway for the police. The knife, the blood, his face, puzzle pieces that amounted to nothing. I can't. I, I'm sorry. I really can't. I don't get it. You just forget everything that happened the other night, or you just want to forget it. We need to know what happened. So many people died. Um, everyone but you. Yeah, because the cop shot him. I'm sure he would have killed me too. If that cop- Officer Cooper? Yeah, if Officer- Did you ask him what happened? We did. A and what did he say? He was instructed to search the woods for a patient reported missing from Blackthorn Psychiatric Hospital. During the search, he heard a scream coming from the direction of the cabin. On his way to investigate, he spotted you in the woods, and Quinn could almost see it. Coop's look of utter surprise when he realized that her dress was white and not red. She was in and out of consciousness, and he was trying not to show her how shocked he was, but he made a oh face. She just kept saying, they're dead, they're dead. She remembered that so vividly, they're dead, they're all dead. And then she remembered rustling behind, fast rustling. And Coop got up, dropped her, and pulled out his gun and fired. It took three full shots to take him down. Two to, two to the chest and another one to his head. And uh, before that, what happened, Miss Carpenter? I truly can't remember. But you have to. Why? Because things are not adding up. What things? To be blunt, we can't understand why everyone else died. Can you tell us why? And the minute that Quincy said it, she regretted it, but it slipped out and it was a moment of rage. Maybe I'm just tougher than they were. A few days later, the police brought her in again. This time, Officer Coop was there at Quinn's request, but he wasn't allowed inside the room yet. The same cops got started. We just have more questions. And I've already told you, I, I told you everything I know. Which is a whole lot of nothing. The good cop butts in. Listen, we don't, we don't want you to think we're harassing you. We just need to make sure that we know everything that happened for the families. Surely you understand that. Predictable. Quincy closed her eyes and stopped thinking about, and stopped thinking about the families. Janelle's mom had visited her in the hospital, and she just kept crying and asking her, "Please tell me, tell me it was painless." Quincy cried and said she didn't feel a thing. It was all a lie. Quincy doesn't even remember. I understand and I want to help, I really do. Okay, so we have a few questions. What do you remember that night? The whole night, <sighs> or when Janelle started screaming because I don't remember much after that. The whole night. Well, we were drinking and smoking and I wasn't though. Oh, because you're such a good girl. <sighs> it's not that. And Joe was there? Quinn flinched at his name. Just the sound of it made her shiver. Yes. Did something happen that set him off? Did someone make fun of him, abuse him, hurt him? No. Did anything happen that set you off? What? No. We looked at the results of your sexual assault exam and it said that you engaged in sexual intercourse that night. Is that true? Maybe it wasn't consensual. You can tell us if you were just defending yourself. Quinn's cheeks were on fire. They were red. It was consensual. I wasn't raped. Let's talk about after Janelle came out of the woods and you were stabbed in the shoulder. Are you certain you can't remember anything after that? Yes. We'll try. Just for a few minutes. Quinn closed her eyes and tried to conjure up even the smallest little memory and nothing, nothing at all. And her head started to hurt. I'm sorry, I just can't. 
Nothing? No, there's nothing. I'll give you credit, you're good. You don't believe me? Not one bit. And we're gonna find out the truth eventually. Think about that, Quincy. Imagine your friend's parents, how they're gonna feel when they find out that you've been lying to us this whole time. How can you sit there and talk about how you don't remember? But you and I both know that you do. I'm sorry that my lack of memory makes you angry. You can ask me for years if I remember, but the answer will always be the same until my memory comes back. You know what, that's a good idea, Quincy. I'll ask you for years, every month, hell, every week. It's weird, the only survivor is you, a small little girl who claims she can't remember a thing. Oh my god, you think, you think I did it? No, I think you're hiding something, possibly protecting someone. Maybe I'll change my mind if you tell me everything you saw that night, including the stuff that you've conveniently forgotten. I told you everything, I, what makes you think I'm lying? It doesn't add up. Your prints are on the knife that killed everyone. So are everyone else's. We cooked with those knives. He touched it too. I shouldn't have to remind you that I was also stabbed three times. Two stabs to the shoulder and one to the stomach. None of them were life-threatening. Not for lack of trying. The detectives start pulling out pictures of the other friends. The ones that did die. Janelle Bennett. Four stab wounds, one to the heart, lung, shoulder, stomach. Plus, he slit her throat. Please just stop. Craig Anderson, six stab wounds ranging in depth from two to six inches. Please! Rodney Spelling, four stab wounds, two in the stomach, one in the arm, one in the heart. Stop! And with that loud noise, Officer Coop walks in. What's going on here? Tell them, please, tell them I didn't do anything. Tell them I'm a good person. Officer Coop looks straight at the officers and Quincy and he realizes what's happening. And he puts his hand on Quincy's shoulder and he looks directly at the cops. You're a wonderful person and you're a survivor. Back in current time, Quincy is not tough. She's in Detective Hernandez's office in the NYPD Central Park Precinct, staring at the purse on the desk. Of course, it is that purse, Sam's purse. Do you uh, recognize this? Yes, we lost that in the park the other night. We? You and Tina Stone? Her real name is Samantha Boyd. She changed it to Tina Stone. Ah, after what happened in the Nightlight Inn? Yes, we went through a lot. We both have went through a lot. And she's staying with you, I guess? She is. And where is she now? Outside. Perfect, it's my lucky day, because I'd love to talk to her too. Oh, sure! Yeah, let me just go get her. And that is how both the girls ended up in the police station, again, being questioned. They had perfected their stories though, or at least Quinn hoped. She had no idea what Sam was doing. She could be throwing her under the bus as they spoke. The story was they went to the park because they were drunk. They were just enjoying the nice air. It's not a crime to be out at night. To be reckless, it's not a crime. And then Sam's purse was stolen. Why does she carry a purse filled with heavy books? It's a decoy. After everything that she went through, she carries that big purse because someone's gonna mug that purse, but then she's got all her valuables in her pockets, you know what I mean? So, um. Yeah, that's why. Quinn is lying impressively well. That is till the detective tells her Richard Ruiz is the man who was beat up. He's in a coma. And the police are familiar with him. He wasn't a dangerous guy, just someone looking for a place to sleep in a next fix. But the detectives are not done. She leans in and says, You know, that's all I have for now, but I just have one last question. Are you and Miss Boyd close? We are. It's nice to be around someone who understands me. Of course. So, the fact that she has prior brushes with the law, they don't bother you? Prior? As in more than um, being arrested a few nights ago here? 
oh, I guess she neglected to tell you. But um, I did a bit of digging into her history. Nothing big, just the past five years or so. In addition to her being arrested here two nights ago for assault, she had a drunken disorderly arrest in New Hampshire for a few years ago, another one in Maine, and then a speeding ticket in Indiana just last month. Quincy's whole world stops. Sam was in Indiana last month when Lisa died. Lisa from Indiana. Lisa's warning email. Jonah's warning. Coop's concerned warning about how Quinn doesn't know what Sam is capable of. Sam wanting her to beat a guy to a bloody pulp. But she tries to play it off. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Quinn gets out first and she waits for um, Sam outside the police station, who comes out unfazed. Don't worry, babe. I stuck to the script. Where were you before you came to New York? And don't tell me here and there, be specific. Uh, I was in Maine. Where in Maine? How long were you there? <laughs> I don't know, years. I'm getting annoyed with all these questions. Listen, you told me nothing. I need the truth. You want the truth? Look around. And Quinn realized in the heat of the moment, Sam guided them right back to where she had beaten a man into a coma last night. There were vigil candles in place and a sign that said justice for Rocky. He died? Well, he's in a coma. Oh, oh, oh. Right here is the truth, Quinn. I could have told the detective everything, but I didn't. That's all the truth you need to know. What she means is loud and clear. Sam had the upper hand, she had the power, she knew the truth, and she was going to use it against Quinn. For what? We don't know. 10 p.m., Pine Cottage. The dinner was awkward. Listen, everyone looks silly. They were all pretending to be adults and this Joe guy, like he's weird. But after dinner, the real party began. Everyone's drinking, they're having a blast, right? Quincy didn't drink, but she danced. And drunk Betts walked right over to her and she's screaming over the music. Quincy, you don't have to do it, you know. Do what? Fuck Craig. Maybe I want to. Or maybe Janelle wants you to, mostly because she would rather be the one doing it. What? You're drunk, Bets. You know, you're talking nonsense. I'm right, and you know it. She wants to f Craig. And Bets walked away, drinking. Quincy was distraught, but she tried to ignore it. Maybe Bets was too drunk, right? And then she looked, and Joe was staring right at her. You're a good dancer. Thanks. Um, if you're bored, I can take you back to your car. It's okay. Probably not a good idea for me to drive. Sorry Janelle steamrolled you into staying. I'm having fun. You're very nice. Thanks. And pretty. I think you're really pretty. Thanks. And in that moment, Janelle and Craig come back into the cabin from smoking weed. They're leaning a bit too close on each other, but it didn't matter. Because Craig made a beeline straight for Quinn, hugged her, and picked her up and said, you up for some fun tonight? And she giggled and said, sure. And just like that, he was leading her into their room. And in the corner of her eye, Quinn could see Janelle watching them. Was it from satisfaction, excitement, jealousy? Quincy couldn't tell. But there was nothing to be jealous of. Nothing at all. When they got in bed, Craig was rushing things. Craig, Quinn wasn't into it. She just kept stopping to tell him that she was uncomfortable, it didn't feel good. And instead of being sweet and lovable, like she expected, he got annoyed. And he's like, well, what the hell, Quinn? Why did you tell me you wanted this if you didn't? I thought you agreed to this. Yes, but then what's the fucking problem? I just wanted to be special, you know? This is a lot more special than my first time. How is this not special for you? Quinn kept trying to talk to Craig about how she just, I just thought it there'd be flowers and candles and uh, that it would mean something. Ugh. And he rolled off the bed and put on his clothes. He left Quinn crying alone in the room while he rejoined the party. She upset that she wouldn't lose her virginity without some damn flowers and candles. Back in present time, Quinn comes home without Sam. 
Sam is going to explore the city or scheme something else, okay? Quinn doesn't even know anymore. She just knows that she's beyond freaking exhausted. The fact that Sam had been in her life for like three days and managed to change everything and flip her life upside down was unsettling. She was a stranger to herself. She had beat up someone to a pulp. He was in a coma now. She felt detached from the world. She felt detached from Jeff. I mean, she could never even tell him what she was doing because he's a public defense. She had blood on her hands. That night, Quinn couldn't sleep, no matter how tired she was, and Sam was still not home. So she took her laptop on the couch and starts Googling. First, Samantha Boyd. No news, but the night light in. That's it. Then, Tina Stone. And so much news. Too many results, because there's a million people named Tina Stone. No wonder she chose that freaking name. It's so generic. Then a noise behind her. Sam, when did you get here? I don't know. How long have you been here? I don't know. Can't sleep? Uh, I don't know. Somehow this weird passive-aggressive game leads to Sam painting Quinn's nails on the guest bed and black death is the color of the nail polish. Quinn, are we friends? Of course. Good. That's good. Because I can't imagine what it would be like if we weren't friends. What do you mean? Well, I just know so much about you now. The things that you're capable of, the things that you've actually done. If we weren't friends, there's so much I could use against you. That'll never happen because we're friends for life. Good. I'm glad. And Quincy is shaking, but she tries not to show it. A direct threat. If it doesn't get more direct than this. That night, Quincy sneaks into her bathroom and calls Coop from her bathroom floor. Coop, I'm in trouble. Are you okay? Do you need me there? I think I've gotten myself into something. I can't get out of it. You're worrying me. Just tell me what's going on. I can't. Do you want me to come? No. I just wanted to hear your voice. See if you had any advice. All I can say is that when you're in a bad situation, you need to deal with it head on. What if I can't? You're stronger than you think. I'm not. You are. You're a miracle and you don't even know it. Most girls in your situation would have died that night at Pine Cottage, but not you. Yeah, because you saved me. No, you were already saving yourself. So no matter what's going on right now, you have the power to get out of it. Thanks. Sorry I woke you up. Never feel sorry for reaching out, okay? And that's what Quinn needed to spring herself into action. She texted Jonah Thompson, the reporter. She said, I'm ready to talk. Bryant Park, 11.30 a.m. tomorrow morning. The mid-afternoon air is a little bit less chilly, but not by much. Jonah looks surprised that Quincy actually showed up, even though she arranged this whole meeting. Do you even remember me? Why would I remember you, Jonah? Should I? We went to class together in college. Quincy, I was in your psych class. Oh. Are you sure? Yeah, I sat behind you. I remember a lot of the times you would say hi to me before you took your seat. Really? Yeah, you were friendly and I remember how happy you used to be. And you sat with this other girl. She came in late a lot and you guys were friends, I think. Or actually, maybe you guys weren't friends. You guys were bickering all the time. He's talking about Janelle. We didn't bicker all the time. Oh, you totally bickered all the time. You guys had some weird passive-aggressive thing going on between you two. Like you pretended to be best friends, but you totally couldn't stand each other. We were best friends. And it was in that moment Jonah realized that the girl was Janelle, one of the victims. And he starts cursing and apologizing profusely. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. What are you here for? I'm here because we need more information on Sam. Everyone is interested in her, where she's been, what she's been up to. Quincy, we just, we need your help. You wanna use me for your work? Are you guys friends? Yeah, well I have something that might change your mind. Quincy tries to ask him what that information is, but he refuses to tell her unless she gives him some information too. It's an even exchange. Tina Stone. Who? That's Samantha Boyd's legal name. Yeah. 
Okay, thank you, Quincy. Um, I'm gonna do some digging on Tina Stone, see what we can dig up, see what kind of piece we can write, but yeah, yeah, thanks. Jonah, talk, it's your turn to tell me what you know. Right, right. Remember the pictures in the article in front of your door? Well, Sam came to me before ever showing up on your doorstep. She asked if I wanted the photo of a lifetime. She set it up? Yeah. So, uh, Quinn ran home and found Sam baking in the kitchen. When were you going to tell me? Jonah told me everything. And immediately Sam starts, you know, calm. She's like, oh, I can explain. Quincy is not in the mood. She starts throwing eggs, cake batter on the walls, spatulas, everything on the fucking cabinets, on the kitchen island. Why would you do that? I did it for you. Shut up. I thought it would help you. Shut up. Quincy is throwing egg after egg at Sam. Will you let me just explain? I just want you to stop pretending to be someone that you're not. You act like this perfect girl with a perfect life with your perfect little fucking cakes, but that's not you and you know it. You don't know me, Sam. I'm the only one that knows you. You're, you're a final girl. One who will do anything to survive just like me. I'm nothing like you, Sam. You're a fucking final girl. That's why you went to Jonah, so you could live up to the name that you earned. Quincy hears ringing in her ear. She grabs everything on the table and starts throwing it at Sam. Measuring cups, mugs, she throws them. They're crashing and breaking, shattering on the floor. But Sam is calling her name, Quincy, stop, Quincy, stop. But the last one is so loud it shakes the building. She screams Quincy. And Quincy looks down and she's holding a knife. Sam is in the corner of the kitchen fading into the walls and she can't stop shaking. Oh my God. Sam, I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. I, I swear, I was just picking up what, I, what I, I didn't even see. It was a knife. And Sam, still shaking, looks up and says, Quincy, who are you? And then comes the knock. Detective Hernandez wants to talk to them. Ask a few questions. The girls let her in. They have no choice. They pretend that having two dozen eggs splattered around the cabinets is a style choice. They walk over the shattered mugs. Sorry, spring cleaning. And uh, they sit down with the detective in the living room have a few follow-up questions. And she lets them know that two witnesses placed them at Central Park two nights in a row. One of them even said that the girls looked like they were washing off what looked like blood in the fountain nearby. Hmm. The detective makes some thinly veiled threats about how if it's just self-defense, it's better to tell us now. We'd be a lot more forgiving, you know? We understand if you want to come forward, maybe he tried to attack you, right? Maybe he tried to rob you. The girls act dumb. They shuffle Detective Hernandez out. And Sam leaves with her. Not with her, but goes out too. And now Quinn is alone and it hits her. The picture. She rushes to Lisa's Facebook page and there it is. The picture with the blurry girl in the background with bright red lipstick. It's blurry, but it's Sam. That's her lipstick. That's it. Quinn's got to get out of here. She needs answers. She decides that she's going to follow Jeff to his work trip in Chicago. Jeff is like, Quinn, are you sure you want to leave Sam alone in our place? It's fine. Even though both of them have no idea if it's going to be fine. Quinn tells Sam that she's going to Chicago and would love for Sam to stay or go, go, or whatever she wanted. Can Jeff and I trust you? Sure you can. I'll watch your place. Okay, well here's $200 for exploring the city or whatever you need for food, for whatever. Don't house sitters get some sort of fee for watching the house? Quinn feels like she's here to blackmail her. Sure, how does uh, $500 sound? Make it a thousand. Quinn grabs her checkbook and Sam says, do you still want me here when you get back? That's uh, up to you. It really is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Dang. In Chicago, Quinn has plans. Plans that don't involve sightseeing the mother 
Bean, okay, while Jeff is at work, she's going to rent a car, drive it as fast as humanly possible to Lisa's house in Indiana. She's gonna have a few hours there, and then we'll be able to make it back in time by the time that Jeff is off, and it's perfect. Well, not really, because Quincy is not expected, so she doesn't even know if someone's gonna be there. But someone is. Someone opens the door, and it's Detective Nancy. Detective Nancy is like Coop for Lisa. She saved Lisa. Everybody has their own Coop, except for Samantha Boyd, and maybe that's why she's the way she is. Hi, I'm Quincy. I know. Lisa thought a lot about you. Come on in. Inside, Nancy is packing up the whole place. There's no evidence that a murder even took place. No crime scene tape, nothing. Just boxes. Like someone's moving. Lisa's family wanted me to pack up all her things. They don't want to step foot in here, which is understandable, you know? I was one of the first people to enter the sorority house when, um, yeah. I was the one to realize that Lisa wasn't dead. There was blood everywhere. Uh, I took one look at Lisa and I... Didn't know how she made it alive, but somehow she pulled through. True fighter. I was there for her ever since. She knew she could trust me, and recently we became friends. I became close with her, spent Thanksgiving with her family, and... Her family sounds like good people. Is there, um... Nancy, is there any leads or motives? No. By the time that the idiot police realized what happened, it was too late. The scene was compromised. But we know that Lisa knew her killer. She let them into her home. I always thought she was too trusting, letting all these broken girls into her home. Girls who were at risk, they were always welcome here in Lisa's place. Personally, I think that she was trying to fill a void. You know, she never dated much. She just filled it with helping people. Did Lisa ever mention Sam? Not to me. Um, how long are you here? Are you here for the funeral? I'm here for about an hour. Do you need help packing? And that was the perfect timing. Quincy brought an empty box to Lisa's room to start packing, and she felt bad. Like, this was a big invasion of her privacy. But whatever Lisa knew, she wanted Quinn to know, hence the email. She packed a few clothes, and she started looking around in her room for something else. In the closet, Quincy saw a small file cabinet. There were scratch marks all over the front of the thing, near the lock. <gasps> yeah, just like Quincy's kitchen drawer now. Samantha. The drawer slides open and there's three folders inside. One file for Lisa, all the newspaper cl clippings about the sorority house, another one for Samantha, and then one for Quincy. Quincy ran through Lisa's and Samantha's, though there was something odd in Samantha's file. A newspaper clipping about an unrelated murder in Pennsylvania. A man was found stabbed to death inside his house that he shared with his wife and stepdaughter. It was alleged that the stepdaughter killed him because he was sexually assaulting her. But why was that in Sam's file? It didn't make sense. Quincy opened up her file, bracing for whatever was in there, and the first page was her name and number on there, which is how Sam got her number. The next few articles were about Pine Cottage, and then boom, the letter. The one that Quinn was sent two years ago, the threat. How did Lisa have that? She never told her about it. How the f*** did she get a copy, and, and why? Then the police interview, the full transcript of when Quinn was talking to the police after Pine Cottage, and they accused her of doing something? That was in there. Why did she reach out to the police and get that? That was not public knowledge. Quincy hurried and slammed the file shut when she heard steps coming up the stairs. She squished the file into her pants and covered the lump with her shirt. All right, uh, your time's up. Sorry, I couldn't get more um, done. I guess it's harder than I thought it would be. It means that Lisa's really gone. Nancy led Quinn out and they said their goodbyes. Quinn drove into a quiet neighborhood, ripped open her file. The police transcript where the police accused her of knowing more was... Shocking. Like, why did Lisa have it? Did Lisa suspect her too? Then there were more letters. Letters from various people. Some of them were the very cops that accused her of those crimes many years ago. It read, and this is shortened, I've attached the transcript for the recorded interview with Miss Carpenter. It's been a long time since my dealing with her, but I remember them well. We interviewed her several times after Pine Cottage, but my partner and I both felt like she wasn't telling the truth. It was, it was a feeling that something happened before the horrible events that night. Something that Miss Carpenter wants to keep a secret. 
This led my partner and I to believe that she might have something to do with the deaths of her friends. I share this opinion even to this day. I think she is hiding something about what happened at Pine Cottage. Then a letter from Detective Coop. Good to hear from you again, Lisa. Quincy is doing well, so regarding your questions, I'm a little bit confused and surprised. However, I'm thankful that you didn't ask Quincy yourself. I hope you continue to display such discretion. Quincy had a terrible experience, and she is a survivor just like you. Quincy was telling the truth that night, and as a child psychiatrist, you should know that suppressed memory syndrome is a real condition. P.S. I won't tell Nancy what you're doing, because she will frown upon this. So it seems like Lisa is reaching out to all these people asking about Quincy and seeing if she's lying and Coop is not having it. Mm. He's like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what the fuck? I mean, Quinn knows why Coop didn't tell her, but it's just weird. Then another letter, the most shocking letter of all, from Quincy's own mother. It didn't say much. It just said that she and Quincy aren't even in touch anymore. No shit, things are like this are the reason. Quinn burned the file right on the side of the road before putting it out with her water and then got back into the car and started racing back to Chicago. She did not do it in silence. She called her mom to yell at her. Okay, this is where shit starts hitting the fan, so hold on. Quinn's mom obviously feels guilty about talking to Lisa without telling Quinn, so she tries to play it off. She says it's not just the email. The two of them had a phone conversation not too long ago. Okay, well, tell me what it was about now, mom. About two weeks ago, she called and said that she was worried. Worried about me or worried for me? She didn't say. Then what did you guys talk about? I mentioned your apartment and your website and Jeff. Anything else? She, she asked if you've recovered any memories about Pine Cottage. Why would she do that? I don't know. And what did you tell her? The truth, that you can't remember a thing. Did Lisa mention why she was asking? She said she was thinking about you lately and well, I don't know if I should say this, Quinn, but Lisa thought that you weren't being honest with her. Did she say that? Nope, it was just a feeling. I, I, I mean, I could be wrong. I felt like it, she was suspicious or something of what happened that night. And what gave you this feeling? I don't know. She kept talking about how you recovered quick and your injuries weren't that bad compared to everyone else. And Mom, what did Lisa sound like on the phone? What do you mean? She sounded like how I imagined her to sound, I guess. Give me specifics. Was her voice hoarse? Raspy? I don't know. I don't really notice. You were the one that talked to her for years. Please, Mom, just think. Think. I guess there were a lot of pauses when she was talking, like sighing, but a little bit not as heavy. Oh my god. Okay, thanks mom, that's all I need to know. And Quincy hung up. Her hands were trembling. The pauses weren't sighing. It was the sound of someone smoking. And it wasn't Lisa. Quinn's mom had talked to Sam. This meant that Sam was trying to figure out what really happened at Pine Cottage. She wanted to know what Quinn did there. She was getting too close. Quinn rushes back to the hotel and packs everything in a hurry. Jeff is confused, but Quinn is like making up some excuse in the book about how she gotta go back to the city. And even though he's worried, he lets her go. And there's definitely trouble in paradise, just a side note. Anyway, Quinn catches the first flight back home and she has no idea what she's gonna do. But she rushes into her house, ready to fight Sam. But when she opens the door, it's a fever dream because it's not just Sam. There's someone else in the room with her. And they're leaning in, about to kiss, and Quinn feels like throwing up. Detective boyfriend? Coop. Ugh. What the fuck? Coop jumps up from the bed. Quincy, I'm so sorry. Get out. Just get out. I can explain. Just get out. But, but please, qu get out. Get out. And before Quincy knows it, she's on top of Coop, smacking him on the face, slapping him, hitting him, punching him. And he's just standing there taking it. Sam swoops in and kicks him out. And um, yeah, 
yeah, Koopas rushed out. Quinn felt like a knife had been sharpened and stabbed into her abdomen over and over again. 11 p.m. Pine Cottage flashback. Quincy cried so much she felt dehydrated. She wanted to find Janelle, her best friend, to help her through it. She went room to room. Where's Janelle? Nobody knew. So somehow, Quincy's legs found herself moving towards the woods. Like, I don't know, maybe she needed to walk it out. Maybe she needed to do something reckless. Maybe it was instinct. But she started walking towards that big rock that they had seen earlier that day. And it took her a while, but when she got up, she saw it. Janelle and Craig, on top of the rock, naked. And Janelle was screaming, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it was like a knife twisting inside of Quinn. So she ran back to the cabin, hand over her mouth, sobbing, tears streaming down her face. She could still hear Janelle in her ears while she ran down the hills, her nasty little moans. Now back in present time, Quinn was sobbing on the ground. Why did you do that? Why? You're messing with me. You're sick. You, you can't stand one of us having a normal life. It, the thought of us being happy disgusts you. Quinn, don't be dramatic. You think you have me all figured out. Sam is so unbothered, she opens the window to smoke another cigarette. You come in here and you wanted to ruin me. You saw what I had and it was stable, so you fucked it up. Stable? You sent a guy to the hospital, babe. He's still in a coma. Because of you, you made me do it. Yeah, keep thinking that, Quinn. If that helps you live and sleep with yourself at night, keep thinking it. Why Coop? Insurance. The detective Hernandez or whatever came by again today, so I called Coop, and I thought that if he was emotionally invested in me, then he would help us if this shit hit the fan, you know? You would do that too, right? I, I never fucked Coop. Like that matters. You're still stringing him along for years. You've used him for years, beckoning him into the city at a moment's notice, flirting with him every now and then to keep him interested. No, I, I would never do that. I saw it. You do it all the time. Not on purpose. Lies, lies, lies. You want to talk about lies? You lied when you said that you never met Lisa. You stayed at her house. I know that you did. <laughs> You're crazy. That's not an answer. Fine, I was there a few weeks ago, but you already knew that. I showed up out of the blue, and she said hello when she realized who I was. Stayed for about a week. She liked having me there in the beginning. Near the end, she couldn't deal with me anymore. Why did you lie about it? Because you're a drama queen. You would start getting suspicious. Why? Do you have something to hide? Did you kill Lisa? God, Quincy. You are so much more messed up than I thought. Say it! Say it! You had nothing to do with her death then. No matter what I say, you won't trust me. I didn't kill Lisa. Believe me or not, I don't give a fuck. Quincy's phone rings. Get it. It's probably your boyfriend or at least it's one of them. It was Coop and he wanted to talk. And after all their history, him saving her life, she owed him one favor. Only one though. She said go to hell and left. Quincy was out to go meet Coop. 11, 12 p.m. Pine Cottage. Quincy ran back into the cabin, into the cabin, cold and sticky from sweating. She just wanted to sleep, forget everything, throw up and repeat, wiped her tears from her eyes. And when she got to Craig's room, no, her room, because why should she leave the room? It's her room. He could find a new room. She saw someone sitting on the bed. Fucking Joe. I didn't know where to sleep, sorry. Uh, are you crying? Are you okay? You need to go. You're not okay. No shit, I'm not okay. I, uh, Saw them leave together. They walked into the woods. I know. Sorry. Please, just go. He doesn't deserve you. You're better than him. Thank you. I mean it. And for some reason, Quincy felt grateful. Joe felt so unexperienced and honest and sincere, the opposite of Craig. And she leaned him and she kissed him. And it kind of took the pain away from what she saw between Craig and Janelle. Just a little bit, but it wasn't enough. Quincy wanted to forget the whole thing. So without a word, she climbed on top of him and started to undress him. 
Are you sure, Quincy? Yes. And that is how she lost her V-card. To him. The one who must not be named. And in present time, Quinn is standing outside Coop's hotel door. He opens up looking disheveled, stressed out, and he tries to explain himself, and she's like, just let, get it over with. I just need to explain myself. What you do in your free time is none of my business, Coop. She called me. She said that you were, she was worried about you, and I, I rushed over. I didn't trust her, and I wanted to find out what was going on. Oh yeah, seduction is a great interrogation tactic. You use it a lot at work. What you saw was unplanned. It, it just happened. The oldest excuse in the book just happened. It's true. You don't understand how lonely I am. I'm so alone. I live in this big house enough for five people and it's, it's just me alone. And there are rooms I haven't opened in years. They're empty and the doors stay closed. Is that why you wanted me to come to pity you, Coop? No, it's something else. And then he says it. I love you, Quincy. <laughs> and just like that, they have steamy sex. I mean, were you not expecting it? Come on, they got some steamy, steamy, really steamy sex. It was their first embrace since Pine Cottage, and Quincy finally felt the safety that she so desperately needed. Yeah. What? But um, that safety was gone when she thought about Jeff and what she was doing to him, but right now she needed Coop's big old arms around her. 11.42 p.m., Pine Cottage. After that, Quincy still can't sleep. But Joe is fast asleep, so Quincy puts on her dress and heads downstairs. She heads into the kitchen thinking that she can clean away all of her anger, but it was just rising. There was a blackness in her heart consuming her. She grabbed the knife from the kitchen. Maybe she should slash Craig's tires. No worse. Maybe she should leave them all stranded here without their phones, drive off in his car. But instead, Quincy found herself holding a knife headed to the woods where they were. Janelle and Craig. She didn't even recognize herself. Even if she saw her own reflection in the knife blade, who the hell was she? Her hand was gripping tight to the knife. What was she gonna do? Back in present time, Quincy wakes up to find that Coop is gone. He left a note. It was the worst note ever. Dear Quincy, I'm ashamed of my behavior. As much as I wanted this to happen, I realize now that it never should have. I think it's best if we don't communicate for a while. I'm sorry. And just like that, 10 years of safety, protection, love, friendship, all gone in a single night. Then another message. This time a text message from Jonah who wants to meet her at the park pronto. Midnight, Pine Cottage, flashback. Quincy had no plan. She just had a knife, a very sharp knife. That was all. She wanted to show the couple how much they hurt her. She wanted to make them scared. She was halfway there. She was determined to do it, but she heard footsteps behind her. She whipped around, eyes filled with rage, and she was face to face with Joe. I just need to be alone right now. Don't do it, Quincy. You don't, you don't know what I'm about to do. I do, and it's not worth it, Quincy. How would you know? Because I've done it before and I felt the same way that you do now. Leave me alone. I know what you want, to hurt them. It's not what you think it is. It isn't? Quinn felt the shame rise up. Okay, she wanted to throw up. She starts crying. They hurt me. I know, that's why you should go back now. Quincy wiped her eyes and she hated herself for crying in front of him, for being with him, for sleeping with him. Fine, I will. Where are you gonna go? Home, you should go home too. Quincy nodded and dropped the knife, and she ran back to the cabin where she came. She ran past Joe, and she ran past the knife, glimmering on the ground in the moonlight. Back to present time, Quinn meets with Jonah at the park. We looked into Tina Stone, Quinn. There's a newspaper article from 12 years ago, and Quinn recognized it. From Lisa's house, the one about her stepdad being stabbed in the house in his house, and they suspected the stepdaughter, and it was weird. Allegedly, the stepdaughter killed Earl for sexual abuse, and her name was shielded in court because she was a child that was abused. It was her? Tina Stone, she killed her stepdad? Afraid so. 
I don't get it. Why would she change her name to be the same as the woman who murdered her stepdad? That's the thing. I'm not sure she actually changed her name. What? I got some medical records with some bribing, and there are, these are Tina Stone's records. Broken wrists, mammogram, overdose. Wait, the, the years don't make sense. She told me she changed her name right after Pine Cottage because all the news was on her again. So these medical records can't be Sam. You don't get it, Quince? Oh my god. Tina Stone and Samantha Boyd, they're not the same person. Which begs the question, Quincy. Which one is in your apartment right now? I have no idea, but I have to find out. Wait, there's more. There's an incident where she OD'd. <sighs> Check the record, you might want to look where. Blackthorn Psychiatric Hospital. Wait, who OD'd? Tina Stone. Okay. And was sent to Blackthorn Psychiatric Hospital. Tina was a patient at Blackthorn the same time he was a patient and he escaped and went to Pine Cottage and ripped Quinn's life to shreds. Midnight, Pine Cottage. Quincy had made it back to the cottage when she heard the scream. She didn't have to look to know where the sound was coming from. Janelle. Everyone but Janelle and Craig and Joe were gathered on the deck staring silently at the direction of the sound. A moment later, Craig burst out of the woods and he was panicked, fully clothed but frantic. He booked it for the cabin. Where's Janelle? Dead, she's dead, everyone run. Run, Quincy, run. Quincy couldn't, not till she knew if Janelle was okay or not. The answer came when Janelle came out of the woods, blood dripping down her chest, holding her neck. Everyone else on the deck watched with horror etched into their faces, but Quincy ran to Janelle, and Janelle fell in her lap, splashing her dress with red blood everywhere. And in slow motion, Quincy screamed, help, and looked up and she saw Craig's face expression change. Quincy, run. But it was too late. Someone grabbed a fistful of her hair, yanked it hard, and she saw a shadow coming straight at her. It was a knife being stabbed straight into her. The stabs were quick. Two sharp strikes to the shoulder. The pain was unbearable. Quincy didn't even scream. She slumped over onto Janelle, where her eyes were staring wide into her soul. Janelle was dead. And as Quincy lay there, waiting for her time to die, she saw him walk towards the house with the knife. Everyone, her friends, were screaming for help. Back in present time. Quinn storms back into her apartment needing to know who the hell Tina or Sam or whoever the fuck this person is. But when she slid open the door, she realized that she would have to wait. Whoever the fuck it was, was showering, humming along without a care in the world. Quinn had enough time to down a Xanax and wash it all down with grape soda and rummage through Tina's things. She found nothing, but she did take back the stolen iPhone from her kitchen drawer. Technically it's hers, even though she's the one that stole it, but it belonged to her, you know? She pulled out a magazine. It was rumpled. It was crumbled up in the back. It was about night lighted. Quinn starts reading. You think it only happens in the movies, that it wouldn't happen in real life. Then it happens to you. At least not to you, but it happened to a sorority house in Indiana, then a motel in Florida. Deja vu. Sam said these things to her while they were bonding over vodka. She made it seem like it was a sincere thought that she had in the spur of the moment, but no, it was an excerpt from a magazine. Before she got out of the shower, Quinn rushed to her computer and started looking up Samantha Boyd's interview. She played it, and although she couldn't see much of Sam's voice, she heard her voice and what she said. I think about him all the time. I can still see him, you know, when I close my eyes. He had cut eye holes into the sack, plus a little slit over the nose for air, and I'll never forget the way it flapped when he breathed. Not only that, but this Tina bitch memorized her interview word for word. It didn't even sound anything like Samantha Boyd. The voice is different? Voice is completely different. Then the question is, why does she think that was Sam from the first time? She didn't care to read her interviews and stuff. She just assumed it was Sam. Why? They looked alike. They do look alike. Yeah. 
Okay, that is. But there, remember, really there's weird. no pictures of Sam, no interviews. Yeah, yeah. So they looked. This looked like what Sam would look like in okay, fifteen years after okay. the crime. Hmm, and then okay. the computer screen starts turning into a neon color.、Mm-hmm. Quinn looks over at the kitchen, and the grape soda on the counter is now a neon color. What? I knew you'd be thirsty. Quinn spins around to see Sam, and she tries to talk, but nothing comes out of her mouth. It feels like flopping fish. Tina, Tina Stone. Quinn tries to get up and run or fight. She doesn't know, but instead she stumbles forward and drops onto the ground. One year after Pine Cottage, Tina was the last to go. The asylum was closing down. It had no funding anymore after what happened at Pine Cottage. The dangerous patients were being transferred to different hospitals. Tina was no longer considered dangerous, so they were going to let her go. Not that they cared. They didn't care if she was able to find a job or if she dropped dead the minute that she got out of these doors. They just cared that she was gone. They didn't even care that Matt Cromley, one of the employees, had molested some of the patients, including Tina. He would always threaten to make her life hell if she said something. Tina was sad. She couldn't stop thinking about Joe in the days leading up to her release. She tried to move on, but how could she? Two years after Pine Cottage, Tina found herself at her mom's doorstep, the last place she wanted to be. Her mom never believed that her stepdad was molesting her. But he did. Three years after Pine Cottage, Tina was at a bar by chance, and she looked at someone who looked familiar, someone that made her blood boil. Matt Cromley, the orderly that had groped her at the hospital, he always stuck his hand down her pants. So that's how she found herself at his table, downing shots. There was no plan really. She just walked over and started flirting, and asked him to come out into the back with her to do something fun. But not before she grabbed a sharp knife from the kitchen. Ten minutes later, Matt had his hands down Tina's pants in the back of the bar, and she hated every second of it. But she vowed it would be the last time. She pretended to enjoy it. He would say things like, "You like that, don't you? You like Maddie boy? How many girls did you do this to back at Blackthorn? I don't know, maybe ten, eleven." Okay, well this is for them. And she shoved an elbow into his stomach and bent. He bent over in pain. She punched him repeatedly, straight on his nose. She grabbed the knife and threatened him. She kicked him over and over and over again. She completely undressed him and took his clothes with her, and tied him up like a hog, and wrote on his naked belly three words: molester, pervert, scum. Nine years after Pine Cottage, nothing much had changed other than that it was October again, which meant Tina was thinking about Joe. It was always around this time that she thought about Joe. But she was trying to focus on waitressing. This one customer kept looking at her funny. What are, what are you staring at? You're that girl, right? I know you. I don't think you do. The girl that almost got herself killed at the hotel all those years ago. I don't know what you're talking about. Your secret's safe with me, Samantha Boyd. And when her shift was over, Tina went to the library and looked up Samantha Boyd. They didn't look so alike that they could be mistaken for twins, but with time, it could make sense that Sam looked like Tina. As long as Tina dyed her hair. The resemblance would be very strong, and then Tina thought about Joe, and the final girls, and slowly a plan clicked in her head. And for the next year, she would start her homework, memorizing her lines. She practiced. She got this, and then she showed up at Lisa's door. Lisa, it's me, Samantha Boyd. I prefer Sam. Back in present time, Quinn was waking up, vision blurring, in a car. Relax, Quinn. Save your strength. You're gonna need it later. You really could have just made this easy, Quinn, but you made it hard for no reason. Trust me. I wanted it to be easy. I wanted you to tell me everything that happened at Pine Cottage, and then I would have been out of your life in two days tops. Quinn tries to get up, but she can barely sit right in her street seat. She's woozy. She feels like the car is driving straight up into the sky. How long have you pretended to be her? Not long. A month or so. Only once I realized I could get away with it. Why? 
I needed to know how much you remembered about Pine Cottage. I know neither you nor Lisa would give me the time of day unless I pretended to be Sam. I knew it was risky, but I had to get your attention. And after what happened to Lisa, it just made sense. It was the right time. You tricked Lisa too? Yeah, for a while. Then she found my ID, so she kicked me out. So you killed her. I didn't kill her. Quincy, for fuck's sake. What do you want? Information. About what? Joe Hannon. Quinn feels like she's throwing up, and more so when she looks up and realizes that Tina had brought her to the last place she wanted to be on Earth, Pine Freaking Cottage. The place looks like it's decaying, and Tina gets out, and Quinn's laying limp in the passenger seat. Quinn's phone was obviously taken by Tina, but she didn't know she still had the pick phone that she stole. So she grabbed it and sent all the last battery to send one more text message to Coop. It's Quinn, Sam's holding me hostage at Pine Cottage. And then the phone died right after. Tina comes back into the car. She breaks open the front door window of the, um, the cottage, gets the handle in, and Quinn is begging her, please, I can't, don't make me do this, please. Sorry, babe, there's no getting out of this. And she comes over and drags Quinn out the car. The inside of the cottage is not what it used to be. It was left to rot for a decade. The furniture is all gone. The ceilings are leaking. The structural integrity is questionable. Please, I can't do this. You're, you're not Sam, but you're still a survivor. Please, your stepdad, he was abusing you, right? That's why you killed him? Something like that. They sent you to Blackthorn because you killed your dad, but you weren't crazy. You were protecting yourself from him, and that's what you've been trying to do. You've just been trying to protect women from men. Stop talking. And at Blackthorn, you met him. He had a name, Quincy. Were you guys close? Was he your boyfriend? We were close. He was my only fucking friend ever. And say his name. You need to say his name. I can't. Please don't make me. You need to say his name. And she held up a knife to her throat. Please say it. Joe Hannon. And Quincy immediately throws up everywhere. Why are you doing this? Because I need to know how much you can remember. And with that, Tina starts dragging her through the rooms. Quincy screams, please, God, no. Remember anything? No, there's nothing here. Let's look harder, shall we? They go room to room. Finally, in the bedroom. Quincy flinches. Even though he killed them, it's her fault. The only reason she survived was not because she was tougher, but because she had sex with him. So he took mercy on her. He spared her for having sex with him. She had sex with the guy who killed everyone. But as Quincy is about to beg to leave, a new memory, a memory of her in this room, on the floor, someone telling her, you'll be okay. We'll both be okay. Then more, all the memories come flooding back to Quincy. Quincy, what's going on? I'm starting to remember. And she remembered Amy and Rodney coming to drag her up from the backyard. They dragged her through the cabin. Janelle was dead. In the cabin, Betts was dead. She was slumped over on the side, covered in blood. Her eyes were open like a doll. Quincy was quiet. She was being held up by Amy and Rodney. Everything was so much pain. Everywhere. Pain. They were whispering to each other. Is he there? I don't see him. Where do you think he went? I don't know. We gotta get out of here. Craig was gonna meet them at the car. They were gonna get their phones, call 911, and get out of there. They just needed the sign. They needed to wait for Craig to appear after he got his keys. He ran out of the bushes and ran to his car. He turned it on. The three rushed out to get to him, but he was driving away already. Was he leaving them? And in the stress or the pain of his stab wounds, he drove straight into a tree. And then the shadow man appeared, tall, menacing, and he opened the driver's side, pulled out Craig, and he killed him. Later, Quinn wakes up in the bedroom. There's water all over the ground. Rodney is there, whispering to her or to himself. She doesn't know. You'll be okay. We're all gonna be okay. Where's Betts? No response. 
But then the door rattles. Quinn remembers screaming, closing her eyes, and she sees the knife and it pushes into her stomach. She hears Rodney scream and stand in front of her. Quinn closes her eyes shut. She can't see. And later, Quinn wakes up in the white room. The whole cabin is silent. Everyone is either dead or gone. Everyone but Quinn. And she slowly walks out covered in blood and water. And Rodney is dead. Betts is dead. Craig is dead. Janelle, they're all dead. And in the living room, she sees him crouching over Bet's body as if he's about to eat her, studying his handiwork. He's like a dog sniffing a dead animal and he's making weird noises. He sounds like a dog in pain or something. And he whips around, turning to Quinn. And he sees his knife on the ground and he grabs it and he lifts it over his head. And he said, I was leaving. I heard screams and I came back. And that was all she heard. She was too busy running out of the cabin, scared, terrified. She ran into the woods screaming. But when these memories start rushing back, she realizes the one puzzle piece that was missing for so long. When Joe is standing over Beth's dead body, the look on his face when he looked at Quinn, he looked scared. He looked scared of her. He looked like he thought she was going to hurt him, that she's the one that killed the others. In real time, Quinn drops to the floor, gasping for air. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. It wasn't him. Tina drops the knife she was holding Quinn hostage with and kneels in front of her. Are, are you sure? Tell, tell me you're sure. I'm sure. And Quinn gets it now. Why they're here is all for Joe to prove that he didn't do it because he didn't do it. I wanted to escape with him. I wanted to run. He told me he was getting out of Blackthorn and I was supposed to go with him, but he was so fast and he told me, they told me that he was dead and he, he had killed a bunch of kids in the woods and I, I didn't believe him. I didn't know. I truly didn't. I truly thought it was him. So who did it? Someone else. Y you? Was it you, Quinn? Quinn wasn't even mad at her for thinking that. I swear it wasn't me, I swear. Then who? I don't know. I'm exhausted. I don't know. Someone else. It must be someone else. Oh my god. Quinn's eyes shut closed, and it's like happening in real time. She sees herself running through the woods, and she feels the cold, hard rocks on her barefoot feet. And she sees him. A cop in his uniform, and it's covered in something dark and wet. And in the moonlight, it looks like he might have been smeared with motor oil. But now she knows that's not true. She runs towards him anyway, even though his whole uniform is covered in blood. Her blood. Her friend's blood. And she throws himself on him, all the blood intertwined. She, she throws herself onto this cop that allegedly she feel like killed everyone? But she didn't know at the moment. She just thought it was safety. She thought it was Joe. Oh, what? And she screamed, they're dead. They're all dead. And he's still out there. And suddenly Joe is there running after her and the gunshots ring out. One, two, three. But why is there a fourth one all of a sudden? Quinn opens her eyes and Tina is on the ground with a thin pool of blood spreading fast underneath her. Coop stands over them. Whoa, wait, one second. Tina? Yeah, the girl's Tina. Sorry, Sam, Tina. Coop is the killer. Killer, correct. And then Coop turn around and shot, fire four shots? Three shots at Joe uh -huh. and just fired again because uh -huh. he's at the cabin right now in present time because she sent that text message. Oh, you were talking Earlier about in the that. Story, oh, that, that's what I'm confused about. Oh, like yeah. you were saying one, Sorry. two, three, or extra one. I'm like, story, what are you talking about? Earlier in the story. I didn't know the she, timeline switched. Earlier in the story, she mentioned that Joe had been shot three times. So then she was yes. like, why is there four shot? Yes. But it was in real time. So uh, Tina is on the ground with a thin pool of blood underneath her. Quincy, are you hurt? No. Good. That's really good. 
For the first few years, you know, I really wondered how much you knew. When you asked for me at the hospital so soon after, I thought you were playing a game, trying to catch me. I thought you remembered. I almost didn't go. Why did you? Because I loved you even then. How many were there before Pine Cottage? Um, three. The strangled woman on the side of the road, the couple campers in the tent. You know, it's a sickness. You need to understand that. I never wanted to do these things. Then why did you? I spent my whole life in these woods hunting and I was curious. I thought the military would get it out of me, but it didn't work. The more fucked up shit I saw only made it worse. When I got home from being discharged, I knew it was time. I swore it was just going to be once and I would get it over with, but couldn't help myself. What about now? Trying Quincy, I am. You weren't trying that night. I was testing myself, coming to this cabin. I guess I wanted someone to bring back the sickness, to make me feel it again. And nothing ever worked until I saw you. I was supposed to be looking for that kid who escaped out of the psych ward, but there you were, holding a knife, running through the woods. So fiercely sad and so fiercely angry, and it was beautiful. I felt like you would relate to me. I wasn't going to do what you think I was going to do. I dropped the knife. I know. I watched you drop it when he showed up. And then you left, and he left, and the knife stayed. So I picked it up. I never meant for all this to happen. You have to believe me. I just wanted to see where you were headed with that knife. I just wanted to know if... I just wanted to know what made someone as perfect as you so angry. So I went back and I saw them screwing like filthy animals, like dirty animals that needed to be put down. Why didn't you kill me too? Because I could tell that you were special. And I was right. You should have seen yourself running through those woods. You were strong even then. More so when you were running towards me, wanting me to help you. I had no right to stop that. Even though there was a chance I could suddenly remember it was you? Yes, because even then, I knew what was happening. I was creating another Lisa Milner, another Samantha Boyd. You knew who they were? I'm a cop, of course I knew. The final girls, the strong, defiant women. And then I made one. Me. In my mind, letting you survive made up for all the other bad things I've done. And I swore I would never do anything bad. And I swore I would never let anything bad happen to you. I mean, sure, I did some things when you started drifting away. The letter? You wrote the letter? I had to. You were straying too far away from me. It was true. Quinn was moving on with her life with Jeff, and the letter came and pushed her straight back into Coop's arms. It's been so hard, Quinn. There were times I came so close to slipping, to killing again, but then I would think of you and I would manage to stop myself. I couldn't risk losing you. What about Lisa? <laughs> that was out of necessity. You knew her, didn't you? That's why she invited you in and gave you one. She trusted you. She didn't trust me. Not that night. She was trying to get me to confess. But she trusted you at one point. So we find out that years ago, Coop had slept with Lisa not long after Pine Cottage. Nancy had put them in touch because Nancy, the police officer, thought that maybe Coop would yep. get over the trauma or know how to help with Quincy. And uh, Coop slept with Lisa. Lisa was impressive, I'll give her that. All she wanted to do was help you. I can't count the number of times that she asked me how you were coping, if you needed help. Her concern was admirable, noble, not like Samantha. You look shocked. But I met the Samantha, the real one, not this cheap imitator here, but you knew all along that she wasn't Sam? I knew, I knew it the second I saw the picture of you two in the newspaper. There's some resemblance, sure, but she can't be the real Samantha Boyd. Why didn't you tell me? I couldn't, not without telling you that Samantha was dead. Why? Because she's not like you. She didn't deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as you. I flew down to some shit town in Florida to meet her, and what I could do, what I could find was a weak, chubby piece of trash. Nothing like what I pictured. I couldn't believe this was the girl that once survived. She was scared, meek. She, you know, she never, not once asked about how you or Lisa were doing. 
she just threw herself at me. Yeah. So Coop had slept with all three final girls. Lisa and Samantha were now dead. Quincy was the last one and she was alive. And she realized what's about to happen. But he kept going, ranting about how Samantha didn't even ask about Quinn and how she didn't care and she just wanted to sleep with him. Meanwhile, Tina is slowly pushing the handle of the knife into Quinn's hand. Coop comes down to kiss Quinn. And he whispers, my sweet, beautiful Quincy. And puts his arms around her neck and starts crying and squeezing. And she's losing consciousness, but before she does, she grasps the knife of the hand. She grasps the handle of the knife and plunges it into his side. And he tries to pull away, but she takes it out and goes again and again into the center of his stomach. And she twists as hard as she can with the knife lodged into his abdomen. His last word was Quincy. And she nodded at him. And the chapter ends with the words, I'm a fucking final girl. Fast forward, the whole world knows what really happened at Pine Cottage. It wasn't Quincy, it wasn't Joe, it was Coop. Tina survived, but that doesn't mean that both of them are safe from consequences. Tina was thrown in prison for impersonation, identity theft, fraud, and she confessed to beating the man at Central Park. Quinn told her that she didn't have to do that, but she felt like that she did. So Quincy went to go visit her, a glass partition separating them. Tina's in jail. Have they found Samantha yet? I've been asking the guards for the news. No, they're still looking for her body. Florida's big stay. What about Jeff? How are you guys doing? You probably talk to him more than I do. We broke up after everything that happened. I mean, I think that he was willing to forgive me, but I didn't want to put him through that. He moved out. My mom moved in and our relationship has gotten better. Did you always suspect it was Coop before you met me? Oh, no. All I knew it was it couldn't be Joe, Quince. I didn't know it was him. I'm sorry I blamed him for all those years. I'm sorry it caused you so much pain. Don't be sorry, Quinn. You saved my life. And you saved my life, Tina. Do you think you'll come back sometime and visit me to say hi? I don't know. Do you want me to? I guess we'll just have to wait and see, Tina. I will be waiting, babe. And after leaving the prison, Quincy knew what she had to do. She drove in the sunset to the local shop that said tattoos. It took her an hour, it was painful, but she got survivor etched into her wrist. And at the end, as she, was admir as she was admiring her new tattoo, the news was on. Several teenagers had been found dead in a California home, nine dead in total, one survivor. Quincy rushed home to find out where the survivor was, which hospital she was in. She showed up and sweet-talked the nurses to let her in the room. The girl was asleep. Quincy waited for her to wake up in a chair. Her eyes were slowly opening. How are you feeling? I'm in pain, everywhere. Yeah, that's to be expected, but it'll go away in time. I'm sorry, who are you? My name is Quincy Carpenter. Why are you here? I'm here to teach you how to be a final girl. Oh, that's pretty good. And that oh. is the end. Oh, wow, the ending gave me some goosebumps. I know, right? That was, um... What did you think of it? Kind of like a feel-good. I know, <laughs> it was like a power bitch. I know. It's like, my name's Batman. <laughs> Just sitting in the corner of the hospital room. Bro. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty, it's pretty good. good, right? I mean, I see that. Um, yes. I guess I really didn't think see it was it him. Yeah. The logic, I'm still trying to think it through yeah. to fully understand. But I definitely did not see yeah. him being the one. Like, yeah. I guess I suspected her Me too. to be the one or... Like, for the first good portion, I was like, oh, okay, like, I'm thinking it's Joe, but there's got to be a, like, small twist where yeah. maybe she helped or something. Yeah. Um, then I thought, okay, the twist is that she slept with him and then she did something. But then 
It was yeah. so out of left field. But why why would he it sounds like he's obsessed with her, correct? Yeah. And it seems like she liked him too. Yeah. So why don't they just get together? I don't know, I guess she didn't pursue him until Tina came around and then it made her feel like, oh my god. But I do think that some aspects like I think that's the reason I don't love reading crime thrillers uh-huh. because I'm so into true crime that it feels nothing like crime. Uh, that I'm like, oh, I don't think the psychology of this makes sense. Exactly. Of like a killer s- being like, you're so perfect. Like the minute that I saw you running around with the knife, I was like, that's the one, bitch, you know? Yeah. So, you know, there. but when you really just take that out of it, you just enjoy the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. will say though, oh, man, it's so hard to say. What? I love this book. Really? I loved this book, but I wish the only qualm I have about it is I don't like endings where it's narrated, where someone tells you everything that happened. So he's like standing there telling Quinn everything that happened. Uh, instead of finding it out somehow. Yeah, like I do feel like... Piecing the, it together. Yeah, I feel right, like the right, last right. bim was more of like pieces. Yes. And then there was some dialogue that explained everything. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. it was a lot of pieces near yes, the end. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's but, like you're solving a puzzle, right? Yes, but this one reminds me of the... Um, the Then She Was Gone book, where oh. at the end she like gets a video. Remember, he's like confessing on a video. And then I was like... Video of vlog, bro. <laughs> a vlog. Yeah. But otherwise, listen, this book was literally like a 9.5 out of 10. What? Yeah, because it's such a good read. Mm. It's one of those like, oh, oh, keeps you hooked the whole time. I, I do like the flashback. It's so quick. Yes. Like it's straight to the oh, point. Yeah, I hate I, the long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like it. Just tell me what happened because I want to know yeah. about that night. So I, I like agree. that. Like the last one felt a little bit long. The flashbacks, the back and forth was like yeah. too, yeah. So good. But uh, let me know your thoughts in the comments. Um, What about the marshmallow? (laughs) It's beautiful. It's mochi. Oh, no. Should I try a bite? Uh, Yeah. Is it safe? At your own risk, yeah. Not the knife edge. Straight sugar. Ah, so good. Quincy Sweets would not like this one. This would be a Quincy Sweets fail. Mm, Was the last bam a fail? No. See, this is like what we like to do. We like to keep you on your toes. It's like in every other situation over here. So the next one is not going to be a fail. Stay tuned for that next Monday. I love you. And I'll see you guys on Monday. Well, I'll probably see you tomorrow. But I'll see you in a bam on Monday. Bye.